This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. All right, go time for another day on Winnipeg Sports Talk. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the program. Andrew Hustler-Patterson along with Michael Remus. And uh, we got a lot to get to. Huge night last night and tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Do or die for the Manitoba Moose tonight at Canada Life Center, taking on the the, uh, Milwaukee Admirals. And as promised yesterday, with rookie camp scheduled to begin around the league, a check-in with Justin Dunk at Three Down Nation on what the heck is going on between the Canadian Football League, the CFLPA, and some of the other big stories heading into CFL training camps, assuming that they happen and we get a labor deal happening. Um, Going to be a great show, of course. The huge topic all week long on this show has been the Winnipeg Jets, the Winnipeg Jets coaching search. Murata Tesh is going to join us coming up a little bit later on. As I mentioned, we'll have Justin Dunk, and then we will head down to Canada Life Centre and set up tonight's elimination game for the Manitoba Moose facing a 2-0 deficit against the Milwaukee Admirals with the voice of the Moose normally on CGOB, but tonight you'll see him on TSN3 calling the Moose and Admirals. Of course, we're talking about our good friend Daniel Fink. Um, but lots to get into right off the bat from last night's action in the National Hockey League. First up, a big thanks to the folks that make this show happen each and every day. Wallace and Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboia Downs, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course our betting partners over at Cool Bet Canada. Let's get right into it. Michael Remus joins me now. And uh, Rima, holy smokes, do we have a lot of hockey. Uh, Ice dropped a 3-2 decision last night. There will be a Game 5 coming up this weekend, and we'll look forward to catching up with one of the members of the Winnipeg Ice tomorrow when they get back in the early hours after uh, traveling overnight. Um, And, of course, tonight it's all about the Manitoba Moose. Do-or-die situation should be a great atmosphere down at Canada Life Centre, and hopefully the Moose can extend their season, get it to the weekend, and see what happens after getting one in the win column. Yeah, I'm in a great mood. There were some awesome games last night. Leafs uh, win, Oilers lost, loved it. But uh, as far as the Manitoba teams go, uh, we're all hyped about the Moose tonight. Game three, they seem to be pretty confident. Winnipeg guys, it's amazing to me that they can just like blow a team out uh, like 7 nothing, and then lose the next game by a goal. Um, it's so, so odd. Um we know that they're one of the top teams in the WHL. It's just that's just hockey. I mean, same thing in the NHL and the Leafs, the Leafs uh, Tampa series. You know, one team wins five nothing, and the next game the other team wins five nothing. That's just how it goes sometimes. But uh, it's confusing. It's confusing. That I guess that's why they play the games. But yeah, I'm feeling feeling good. I'm really hyped. I'm really into this Oilers loss. Yeah. Yesterday. Well, okay. We will we'll get we'll get to last night's action in the playoffs in a minute in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, but quickly, as we mentioned, big big game for the Moose tonight, and we will be talking with Daniel Fink a little bit later on. And yeah, I mean, as far as the ice goes, um, you know, two just comfortable blowout victories at home against Moose Jaw. Uh, but as you mentioned, a lot of pride in that room. There's a reason why they moved on to the second round. Um, and, you know, they put up a pretty good fight against the ice in the regular season. So, uh, hey, kudos to them for getting the win. I imagine we'll see a much more focused and determined ice squad tonight in this game. And 
Um, I would be surprised if we're not talking about the team coming back with an opportunity to close out their series. All that being said, I mean, we've seen a number of series so far, certainly in the National Hockey League, the Carolina-Boston series, uh, where Carolina looked completely in control and then went to Boston. And, uh, well, next thing you know, it was 2-2. So that's where it is tonight. And just quickly, speaking of series, uh, and you mentioned, you know, how things can go one way one night and one the other. I will say this. If I wasn't already going to the Moose game tonight and looking forward to it, I think I'd be making a trip out to Steinbeck for Game 7 of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League Finals. This series between the Dauphin Kings Ream and the Steinbeck Pistons has been wild. And you talk about, you know, results happening one way and, and then going the other. Listen to the six games so far in this series. Game number one was in Steinbeck. The Pistons won 5-1. to one. Game number two in Steinbeck, the Dauphin Kings came back and won 5-1. to one. The series moved out. The series moved to Dauphin for game number two, game number three. Steinbach won 5 4 in overtime. The next game, game four, Dauphin won 5 2. 2 2 series going back to Steinbach. Steinbach wins 2 0. Series goes back for game six to Dauphin. Dauphin wins 2 0. This series right now has a differential, a goal differential of one goal in favor of Dauphin, who scored more goals than uh, Steinbeck, or I guess two more goals in their game three loss. Uh, and it all comes down to one game for all the marbles. And um, if you've been following it all or seen pictures, both the crowds in Dauphin and in Steinbeck, the atmosphere has been amazing. And uh, we've talked about it. There's nothing like game seven, but game seven for a championship is what it's all about. And uh, that will be an incredible scene out in Steinbach tonight for those of you in the area. If you can get your hands on a ticket and get into uh, see some young men playing sometimes for the last time in their junior hockey career. Um, I'm a big MJ guy. I've always loved the league. Um, and listen. Game seven, do or die tonight for both teams. Man, what a great atmosphere that should be out in uh, out in Southwest. Southeast. Yeah, sh- shout out to Bad Mood Blake in chat. Us. He says, sounds like it's worth a trip to Steinbeck. Al- almost, <laughs> almost. Nicely done, Blake. Yeah, that was too too easy. Well, well done. And that's, yeah, so a lot of, you know, we're, we're focused on the Jets all week. We're on day three of Trot's Watch, if we can still still call it that. Um but there is a lot of other, you know, local hockey. You said MJ, Moose tonight, and uh, Ice as well. They're playing game four tonight before driving back overnight and game five here on Friday at the Ice Cave. Yeah, so tomorrow on the program, we will have one of the uh, members of the Ice, uh, potentially Matthew Savoy or, or uh, Connor Geeky. And, um, I mean, we should quickly, just before we get to the action on the ice last night, of course, we talked about it yesterday, before things went down, 5.30 our time, Remo, they started pulling the ping pong balls. And this was of, of particular importance, I think, to Savoy and Kiki, because they're both, you know, projected to be potentially top 10 picks, uh, teammates of the Winnipeg Ice going the first round of the NHL draft. Uh, but the ping pong balls rolled the way of the Montreal Canadiens. Hey, they deserved it. They were the worst team in the league and had an absolutely miserable season after going to the cup final the year before, which is still, frankly, hard to believe. Um, but they're going to get the opportunity to presumably take Shane Wright number one overall. They are hosting the draft. Um, fill in your conspiracy theories if Fix you'd is like. In. Fix <laughs> fill is in. in your conspiracy theories if you'd like. Uh, but the other winners last night was the New Jersey Devils, really, that got a chance to move up into the second spot. Arizona picks third. 
the Seattle Kraken pick fourth. And uh, listen, it was a 95% chance that the Winnipeg Jets would be picking in the 14th slot. And that's exactly where they're doing it. And Murata Tesh and the athletic gang immediately after the lottery went in and did a mock draft. I, I love mock drafts. I'll be reading and doing them over and over again until the 7th of July and the draft. Uh, but I'll be looking forward to talking to Murad about uh, uh, the pick that he has selected for the Winnipeg Jets, as well as what he learned from his other counterparts around the league with the athletic on what is uh, to come when we uh, gather in Montreal in July to uh, hear the names come off the board. Yeah, Montreal, num- number one draft is in Montreal. Seattle, they're not getting any, you know, it e- doesn't get easy here for them like Vegas had it. Us. Uh, they're pretty tough. Four, Arizona, three. You know, a lot of talk about, you know, was the Seth Jones trade worth it? And they traded, you know, Boquist and the sixth pick and then signed Jones to this very long contract. I don't know if they needed to do that if you're going to be getting the sixth overall pick. Um, Buffalo's got a number of of picks as well this year. They're interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, in Columbus, they have two there in in the top 12. Who thought when Jack Eichel got traded from Buffalo to Vegas that that pick that 16. they were getting from the Vegas Golden Knights would be in the top half of the NHL draft. <laughs> not not very many folks, I don't think. And just speaking of the Blue Jackets, you're right. They pick at six and they pick at 12. And I, I mean, again, take this for what it's worth. It's a mock draft. I mean, things can go very differently and they probably will. Uh, but the athletic Aaron Portsline, who was making the selections for Columbus, took Savoy from the Winnipeg Ice at number six, yeah. and then Geeky from the Winnipeg Ice at number 12, which would be pretty wild for those two guys to have such a great season together playing in the Western League, and then both find themselves being called by the same team in the first round of the NHL draft. There will be a few teams, as you mentioned. I mean, Columbus is going to have a couple picks, and Buffalo have a couple picks in the first half of the draft. Um, so I guess there's some potential on that. Uh, but bottom line is for the Winnipeg Jet fans, we'll start focusing in on that number 14 selection for the hockey club, um, as well as everything else going around the club, potential player moves. And as yes, as you mentioned, the trots watch continues. I know people are impatient. People are going, why haven't the Jets signed Barry Trotz? Well, first of all, they got to figure out if he's willing to come here, work something out. And as Pierre Lebrun said, I think the, you know, with everything that just happened this week, just a couple days ago, he's going to take at least a week to sort of figure out the landscape. And if you're Barry Trotz and you want to play, you don't want to really fully see what your options are out there probably be wise to wait a couple of weeks to Mm. see what happens in the aftermath of this first round. I can tell you, Reem, that there was a time last night where it looked like there might be an opening in Toronto. Um, We'll get to the Oilers game in a minute. There's some big, big comebacks last night. The Oilers, the Blues, and the Leafs. The, uh, The Blues and the Leafs were able to finish the job and get the win. The Oilers weren't able to, but uh, just a wild night of hockey. Uh, But I'll tell you what, that win by Toronto and uh, Austin Matthews stepping up. Listen, I know there's a lot of people that can't stand the Leafs, can't stand the Leaf fans. That was a big, big time performance under maximum pressure last night. And uh, this series seems destined for seven. Cannot wait to see what happens in game six. But we certainly know Tampa's record of bouncing back after a loss. And if you could tell me that we're going to get game seven between these two clubs on the weekend, sign me up for that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That was an awesome uh, game, especially that third period where you had four goals, 
including Toronto, who were down 2-1, tying it with the Morgan Riley shot, and he was fired up after that. Uh, William Nylander, who was getting killed in the media, and even Sid Sixero said, uh, tweeted earlier that he had seen enough from William Nylander. Sid! With, what a with God, like, listen, it got, it got ratioed pretty good. I I don't want to kill a guy because I mean he's always sort of been paid to be opinionated and have yeah. these hot takes. But could you look like more of a dork, you know, going at William Nylander last night in the middle of the game and then having him score two goals, including the winner? Um, and, and listen, the comments on his tweets, I mean, the amount of people giving him a hard time about doing the traffic on the Don Valley freeway first thing in the morning or a new muffin recipe on breakfast TV was pretty savage. Uh, but of course, a lot of a lot of sports people remember him from all those years on Tim and Sid. He's gone to the morning, but he still has terrible sports takes. And, uh, oh, that one's going to live for around for a long time, especially if the Leafs get it well, done. That, I mean, that was a pretty nice... Uh... Pretty nice shot there, like going one way, shooting a top corner. But then Toronto, I mean, tied it up real quick right after Ryan McDonough. And I started, I started, you know, I'm not sure how, like, you see all these Canadian teams, and I'm kind of cheering for misery here with the Oilers, but, I mean, the Leafs, they've been there so many times. They have a real, really good team in the regular season. I don't, I think the Oilers have, have a flawed team, just to compare them. And the, I like seeing the Toronto fans just go so crazy. They haven't had a first-round win since, what, 2004? We know about 67. And you have this Hart Trophy, probably winner in Austin Matthews. And for him to score the goal on the Marner uh, shot rebound, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was kind of intentional placement there. Yeah, you think that? I'm with you. I thought that was completely intentional. I mean, those guys have a pretty amazing connection between the two of each other and uh, between each other. And he hit that off the pads. Pert, like, you know, Vasilevsky did the only thing that he could do, get in front of it, right onto the stick of Matthews. And, uh, yeah, that was that was wild. Game five, or sorry, game six back in Tampa will be uh, a huge test for the Leafs and the ability to slay the Dragon. I have a feeling, though, this one's coming back to Toronto. And once again, the all you haters in the chat room will be able to cheer against them. Mm-hmm. The Leaf Nation will get their hopes up, and it's going to go one of two ways, either will be fun and exciting, I think, for most hockey fans. Uh, but the Oilers. Um, my good friend Dustin Nielsen, I was following him and being in touch with him during the game. He said that the first period of the Oilers last night on home ice in Game 5 might have been the worst period that they had played in months. And that is a... I mean, that's just unacceptable. Like And McClellan, the uh, Woodcroft... The new head coach, I think, for the most part, has pressed all the right buttons of this team. It didn't seem to go that way last night. They didn't seem to be ready to go to match what the Kings were bringing in, arguably, I mean, the game that always, in most cases, when you're tied 2-2, sort of decides who wins the series. I think, what is it, 83% or something like that? Um, To their credit, they battled back, but, I mean, they were undisciplined. They took stupid penalties. Darnell Nurse has a hearing with NHL player safety, and I'd be surprised if he's allowed to play. And that's a huge loss for Edmonton in game six if he's not allowed for a headbutt uh, that he did last night in the game. Um, but then, you know, the the cream rises to the crop. You have McDavid and Drysaddle doing what they do, getting the team back after being down two goals in the second half of the third period. And then... Uh, basically over before it's done. Duncan Keith absolutely burned by Adrian Kempe. 
uh, with an absolute bull rush to the net. Mike Smith couldn't make the save. He lets in five goals. And uh, yes, I know you got the Kings hat on tonight, and you were one of the few that thought the Kings might be able to win this series. They're one win away, and you can feel the tension in Alberta, two provinces over here. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot in the chat, and I was thinking this as well. You know, what you saw and heard from the Oilers players after the game sounded pretty familiar to a lot of Jets fans. Horrible start in the first period, um, inconsistent play, a bottom six that doesn't contribute offensively. Uh, I know they the goaltending. Although Zach Cassian actually yeah. showed up and got one last yeah, but, night. I know he's sort of been but, around the lineup. That start of the first period, I'm sorry, the whole first period was absolutely terrible. They got totally outplayed. You know, and then you have this flash of brilliance from McDavid and Dreisel in the third period where it looked like there was no way they could lose that game. Their goals they were scoring were like beautiful rushes, passing plays, one-timers. Like, why can't they do this the whole game? And I think that's so puzzling. And then in overtime... I thought they were going to win in regulation after they tied it up. I mean, the final three minutes of the game, I mean, was an onslaught from Edmonton. And Jonathan Quick stepped up and made the saves that they needed to. And that was one thing that Mike Smith, unfortunately, wasn't able to do last night uh, once again. And now they're talking about maybe getting Koskinen in in game six after the first five. Yeah, I think this was an... You know, they're not going to win with Mike Smith in goal. It's pretty clear. And, you know, they've had, they signed him to a two year deal after last season, uh, which we questioned at the time. We also questioned the acquisition of Duncan Keith and his $5.5 million contract. And you saw him getting walked by a- Adrian Kempe for the OT winner. I mean, this, the Oilers team, not very good. They're getting carried by their two stars. They tried to will them to win, but uh, it just was, wasn't going to happen. And, as far as who do you go, Koskinen or Smith? I don't like. You're not going to win with Smith. I don't think Koskinen's great either. But like, maybe Koskinen could give you some, give you something good. And, and I just don't know if you're going to get that from Mike Smith. They're going to need to score a bunch of goals if they want to win. Yeah. And the Staples Center, or sorry, the Crypto.com yeah, Arena. Crypto. <laughs> Crypto.com <laughs> Arena, it's called now. It's hilarious. Still called that. Hasn't crashed. Hasn't crashed yet for a name change, just for the record. <laughs> By the way, I was reading last night. Yeah. Crypto has completely bottomed out right now, huh? It's like, I'm it, not too up to date, but yeah, I think um, it's it's free falling. Any here. crypto guys in the chat? Give us some. Uh, give us the lowdown on what's going on. Maybe think, it's a buy low time. I think it's, it's a, buy. Yeah, buy the dip. That's what they say. <laughs> buy buy the dip. But uh, uh, the, going back, uh, we didn't even touch on the nurse. The nurse play. I mean, it seemed. I saw Frank Cervelli show. He thought he's going to get a game. Dusty thought a game for sure. Oh, Just a unnecessary I don't think there's play. Any question. A guy doesn't have the puck in Dano. I mean, it's after the whistle. He goes down and launches his head upward into Dano's head. You know, accident. I try to think, well, maybe it was an accident. He didn't mean to. I'm like, well, did Mark Scheifele mean to knock Jake Evans out unconscious? No, he's trying to prevent a goal. So, you know, you can't launch your head into another guy's head and i do think yeah that's probably worth a game and we'll wait and see what happens but that would be a, a pretty tough loss for a team that's pretty thin on defense as it is um now i saw speculation on the post game show what maybe they put chris russell and i'm like oh if you're reaching oh, there it's then, russell time it's yeah. russell time in edmonton right now and, and just quickly i mean on keith uh if you recall at the beginning of the year People were, I mean, there was a lot of criticism of Ken Holland for what they gave up to take Duncan Keith and particularly that contract at $5.5 million at his age. 
and there were there were many people that thought that he lost a step. And he famously said, uh, yeah, well, when we get on the ice, we'll see who's lost a step. Uh, I think it's safe to say, watching the winning goal last night, Duncan Keith has absolutely lost a step. And uh, I don't know at what point where he knew that he was absolutely screwed. Um, you know, he sort of went around and extended the stick and tried to whack it out. But that was a big league play by Kempe, who I think smelled blood in the water when he saw him going in with that sort of speed on Duncan Keith. And the next thing you know, it was uh, time to hit the dressing room. Yeah, and that, you know, his big salary is why they didn't go acquire a goalie because they're up against the cap. So, you know, you spend money in one area, it means you can't spend in another. And we all knew goaltending was an issue. We knew from the minute, you know, this Koskinen contract was handed out as a Peter Trelli parting gift. It uh, wasn't a good one. And then you give Mike Smith. They have Mike Smith for another year, so they still got to fix the goaltending. That, okay, uh, just quickly, like, yeah. signing him to a two-year deal. It made, the, yeah. like. Do you think there was anyone else in the National Hockey League that was throwing two years on the table no. to Mike Smith last summer? He's no effing way. <laughs> the, 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 the contracts that were signed by the last two general managers, well, I mean, this one with Holland and before with Shirelli, are a couple of the most head-scratching deals we've seen in the National Hockey League. And, and then the fact that they didn't do anything to improve the position. And... Listen, Smith had been great coming down the uh, coming down the stretch, which I think gave some people confidence. And to be honest, Koskinen under Woodcroft was really good as well. So all is not lost for the Oilers. But um, man, they're one game away from losing, and what a disappointment that would be after the way they, you know, bounced back from the game one loss, scoring what fourteen goals in game two and game three. Um, but credit to the uh, credit to, to that LA Kings team. And you said, Remo, people have been sleeping on them. Mm-hmm. Phil Deneau, Andre Kopitar. I mean, it's a pretty good one-two punch, especially when you're going against a team with the firepower, the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, so far, it's been the difference, as well as the guys in net. The McDavid Drice, I'm so fascinated by this series because what do the Oilers do if they lose? You know, they had the disappointment losing four straight overtime games. I mean, the record in overtime in the Dreisaitl-McDavid era in the playoffs has not been good. We know they lost, again, four straight to the Jets. Sorry, four straight games. How many of those were overtime? Was it three overtimes? Or was it all four? Uh, yeah. It was three, right? Three. They, three, so it's not been good record. Um, their post-game press conference, they seem extremely frustrated, almost almost pissy. I don't know if it was quite there yet, but um, the pressure's on. They're going on the road. I mean, I don't know what, what they're going to do. Um, you know, three years of Ken Holland uh, this month. I don't think he's had a good run and put them in a, a chance to win, especially the everyone known has known their goaltending wasn't going to cut it. And his <laughs> goaltending again, getting the criticism yesterday. Oh, man, some funny, funny, uh, funny uh, comments in the chat right now. T. Will, Keith, we'll see who's lost a step. Also, Keith. Oh, it's me, apparently. Uh, hey, shout out to Larry Eloy. Larry is out in... Uh, Regina, listening live and lunch between seeing customers. Say uh, what's up to your customers. Tell them to subscribe to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Press that red sub red button on the YouTube. Um, and then a whole bunch more on it. I- I'm interested as to where many of you are at. A common theme we hear around this time is that people just want a Canadian team to win the cup. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I'm on the other side of that. When the Jets came in in 2011, I made a couple of hot takes that the Jets would be the first Canadian team to win the cup. And that's still alive right now. Unfortunately, I don't think any of us expected it would be 11 years in, 
Um, and as someone that picked Tampa in the series, I don't know how this is happening. Maybe it's just the players that they have, but I've actually come around. I found myself cheering for the Leafs last night and the Oilers and the Flames. So we're living in a bit of a bizarre <laughs> world. We're living in a bit of a bizarre world right now. I want the Battle of Alberta to happen. I don't know whether it's going to happen. It certainly doesn't look like it if the Kings can finish the job. Calgary's, of course, got a big opportunity tonight. We'll get into the Calgary game uh, as well as everything else going on tonight a little bit later on. But we are going to switch gears over the Canadian Football League uh, because there's lots to discuss and lots to get done before we see the three-down game. Uh, just before we bring Justin Dunk in, a big thanks to our friends at Wallace & Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist, serving residential and commercial customers in Winnipeg since 1946. If your property needs the security and protection of a new fence or if winter's done a number on your old one, Give them a call. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. They've got the right fence for you. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they have Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. 452-2700 to make an appointment for a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to the showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Uh, time to look good for those events coming up this summer, gang, as well as into the fall. We're getting out of this pandemic. You probably haven't worn a suit for a while. You maybe need a new one just due to sizing. And, of course, some new styles. F Apparel's got you covered. Custom suits for men leading Winnipeg's industry when it comes to that for starting at just 400 bucks. Uh, they've also got over 250 new styles and patterns that have come in for summer. So it's a great time to go and see them. Not to mention if you are planning a wedding for this summer, next summer in the winter, talk to them about a great deal for your wedding party. 15% off when the wedding party buys their suits from F apparel. Find out more from Andrew and the gang down at 190 Smith street or hit them up online at fapparel.com. Um, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market continue to deliver great prices to Winnipeg's best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. You've got seven locations to make it to uh, pop in and see, but if you can't make it to the store, visit their brand new fully shoppable website to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. But you will want to pop into one of the seven locations to check out some delicious lunch options like Vitamarket salad, soup, sandwiches, and the especially tasty falafel salad. And great barbecue options as well with delicious lean bison steaks or chicken. Vita Health Fresh Market, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at myvita.ca. And hey, I told you yesterday, Assiniboia Downs, original opening day was the 23rd of May. It has now been pushed back to the 31st of May. And at that point, it's going to be time to all horse around again. Live racing, 7.30 p.m., May 31st, with no restrictions and the return of ASD's famous prime rib buffet. The season will again feature large wagering pools, setting up the chance for a big score. You can join us every Monday to Tuesday and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. or watch and wager on Canada's largest legal horse racing wagering site, hpibet.com. All right, let's talk some football right now. We wanted to get to this yesterday, and there was so much going on hockey-wise, but... With rookie camps getting going, Bombers signing an Aussie punter today. Um, we want to get uh, one of our uh, favorite experts in to talk about it. And Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation joins us now. JD, what's up? How are you, my friend? 
I'm trying to keep up with it all, my man, just like you. Well, uh, there's seemingly a lot to keep up with. We had the draft last week, uh, some interesting moves, some interesting trades in and around the draft, and we can maybe get to that. But I think everyone, and I don't know, for me, when it comes to this, sometimes no news is good news. Uh, hopefully things are progressing behind the scenes. But for folks that haven't been paying attention, can you give us a little bit of an idea as to what has been going on between the CFL the CFLPA and these labor negotiations, because I will say from someone that hasn't been following it very closely, the proposal that was that you guys reported on last week on the 10 year deal with no change to the salary cap was honestly from someone that has no skin in the game other than wants to see the game being played. One of the more outrageous labor proposals we've seen in recent pro sports history. What's going on with the Canadian football league? Overall, there was a new proposal presented from the CFL today, this morning at an airport in Toronto, and that's the absolute latest. But you alluded to it, Hustler, that 10-year proposal with a flat salary cap, that means no increase to the salary cap that's at $5.35 million, and it's been there for a number of years now. The players were frustrated even more than you. So, Really, when it gets down to it in any labor negotiations, NHL, CFL, whatever league it happens to be, we saw a pretty contentious one recently with Major League Baseball as well. It comes down to money. And the players want an increase in guaranteed money, which we've seen happen in the NFL consistently as that guaranteed money has risen. It's not going to be the same amount of money, obviously, in the CFL that the players get, but they want more guarantees in their contracts and they also want the ability for more money to be put in the players pockets in the form of the salary cap going up if the cfl brings in new revenues like they've talked about with genius sports and heaven forbid the global program actually brings in some revenue and if they added any other new revenue streams to the equation the players want to be a part of that well, i mean it seemed like an insulting offer to me i mean what was behind that and is there more to it I have talked to some people behind the scenes that speculated that maybe this is a plan to, in some ways, sort of split the union, play the Canadian players against the American players, maybe to the benefit of the league. Uh, where are you at on that? That, to me, is the real question mark of this proposal, because I feel like with that proposal, the CFL thought once again they could come in and strong arm the players. But in my mind, the players are in a much different position than they've ever been because of that canceled season in 2020. And to some people, it might sound weird to say, but the players figured their way through it, just like a lot of us did, right? There was a lot of changes and ups and downs through the pandemic, and hopefully for the most part, we're on the other side of it. But as humans, we had to find our way through it. And as players in the CFL, they had to go out and get other jobs and support their families in other means, except for the franchise quarterbacks that had big fat stacks of money in CFL terms in their bank accounts to get through it. So the players have been through that. They know that they can go get other jobs and support their families if they don't get a fair deal. So in my mind, you have all this talk in the offseason, Randy Ambrosi in the league saying we want a true partnership. And it seemed like there was some progress there with some of the initiatives that they had come together on, in particular, a partnership where the program was put in place for former players to get in and have a closer look at the business and perhaps be with some of the CFL teams to see how they operate. But when the actual offer was made, 
of that 10-year flat cap, that essentially dissolved all of that. So yes, it's a starting offer. You're not going to come out with your best one, but also you don't want to insult the other person. If you're supposed to have a relationship in this regard, and yes, it is a business, but if you're supposed to have a long-term relationship, you don't want to insult them. And I think that's what happened with the offer. So I think it was a miscalculation on the CFL's part, which honestly, they rarely do in these negotiations. Is that on the commissioner? I'd imagine there's a lot of people. I know Wade Miller's involved in it. I mean, this is, you know, they they don't just do this. Uh, you know, it's well planned out before. Um, what was behind it? And maybe just speak to that. I mean, speculation on some people that this is because I mean, the Canadian ratio was also going to be affected, and that's a huge issue for Canadian players as well as longtime backers of this league that want the Canadian content to remain. Ambrosi is just sort of the front-facing person that I feel like everybody wants to sling mud at, in particular for this example of the proposal. I mean, he'll have to be on board with it, and certainly the rest of the other members of the Board of Governors will as well. But you mentioned it. Wade Miller, the president of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and the CEO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Scott Mitchell, have been the lead negotiators. So they're presenting the league side of this to the players so everybody can't just stand there and say well this is all Ambrosi's fault and this is how he feels about the players because in reality he's talking to his bosses and it's probably got to go along with what they want overall because ultimately the owners are the ones that are deciding whether he continues to be commissioner of the CFL or not well I'll say this about Wade Miller I mean he's been incredibly successful he's completely turned around this organization has done an amazing job but um if you know people that have dealt with him he is a uh, he drives a hard bargain and you know maybe this was part of it well, what have you heard from players especially veteran players in this league that um you know have understood have been through some of this before where are they at right now because I imagine there's not a single person involved on either side that want to miss any time at all um, but at a certain point, you do have to take a stand when offers are on the table that are so far removed from what you think is fair and right. And that's the key to me, especially if you're a veteran player, you're not in a rush to get to training camp. Like, you <laughs> know, point. you're going to have your spot, <laughs> right? So this has been my point for a number of CBA negotiations now, but in particular this one, because the players have gotten through that year without a CFL season. And you need to show that you mean business and you're willing to miss days of training camp because the players don't get paid for training camp. They get game checks. And if you're a veteran player and the executive is made up of either veteran players or retired players, going to training camp, to be quite honest, isn't going to mean all that much. Yes, you need reps to get ready for the season, but we see it with the approach to the preseason games, right? There's not a lot of reps for the veteran guys. They get a little taste of it, get out of their get ready for the regular season. So I think the players need to make a stand if indeed they feel like the offer is not fair and do not show up for training camp when they're all supposed to open on Sunday. The deadline for the CBA, it expires May 14th, which is Saturday at midnight. And the players don't like the latest proposal that was given to them this morning on Wednesday, then they need to make a stand. Miss some days of training camp to get a better deal. Um, how difficult is that in the Canadian Football League? Because I think we've known that there are, you know, when you look at, you know, the, uh, the players' unions amongst pro sports, um, you know, the nature of the money involved in the Canadian Football League, football in general with the shorter careers, guys needing to make what they can make right now because they know that that opportunity might not be there, never mind next year, next month. Um, 
from a player from the CFLPA, how challenging is this right now? It's difficult in a sense because you want to have your membership working, but also you want to have a fair deal. So you don't want to see them strike and you don't want to have them quote on the picket lines or not showing up to training camp because some people feel like that's a bad look. But ultimately, the worst look is taking a deal that you don't feel like is fair. So overall, that's the balance that the union and its executive have to deal with. And Adam Bakehill, a veteran linebacker, the braiding MODP of the league, of course, with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, is on that executive and giving his perspective into all of these negotiations, which have been led from the player's side by Solomon Elamimian, who was his former teammate in BC and a guy that had a long career in the league. So they understand that, yes, careers are short and players want to make money, but you don't want to leave money on the table in this situation. That's why I think it could be prudent. If you don't feel like the deal is fair, miss some training camp. Really put the pressure on the CFL for once. Uh, Justin, let's talk about the Canadian ratio because that was, uh, as we mentioned, you know, one of the things that you know, to eliminate it or change it. Fill us in on what the original proposal was, what that would do to Canadian players, and what if it was accepted, what do you think it would do to the CFL and where you think it, things end up when it comes to Canadians in the league and the ratio that's been part of this league for so long? Based on the memo that the CFLPA sent out to its membership that we procured at Three Down Nation, the CFL wanted to completely eliminate the Canadian ratio. That means the amount of Canadian starters that you have on your game day roster. You're supposed to have seven. So overall, that was the league's at least starting proposal. Now, for a little while, the league has talked about this in past CBA negotiations. So if that indeed was the case, you wouldn't have to start seven Canadians. And the league also wanted to trim the amount of Canadians overall in the game day roster, which I believe was in and around the 2021 mark last season. So you would trim back that number and it would drastically change what we know as the Canadian Football League, because so many of the stars in this league, Andrew Harris is a perfect example of one of them. And you can go on down the list that are guys from their local communities that either star there or elsewhere that people draw attachment to. That has a trickle effect on down the system. U sports, Canadians at the minor football league level, high school football, and I believe also this explosion that we're seeing in the NCAA has to do with seeing these Canadian guys star in the CFL. Well, what exactly is behind it? Is it matter? I mean, we see it every year in free agency. I mean, Canadian offensive linemen and high quality Canadian starters, you know, are paid a premium. Is this just a matter of, you know, not eliminating Canadians from the CFL, but not having them have that uh, somewhat of a negotiating hammer because of how important they are with the present status of the league with the with the ratio and the Canadian starters mandated as they are? That's part of it. The league's looking at it from a supply and demand perspective, right? You have thousands, literally, of able American football players that could come up here and would play football for dirt cheap, so to speak. Whereas there's only 27 new sports programs that play football and the amount of Canadians that come out of there, plus the Canadian Junior Football League. And of course, Simon Fraser University is also in Canada, is much, much lower than the amount of quality Americans that you can get from the U.S. So the CFL is thinking, well, we can get cheaper talent up here 
and drive down our costs. Now, from the player's perspective, in terms of the union, there's been some talk about how Canadians in certain positions get paid more, and it might not be necessarily fair to the Americans at those similar positions who are just as productive, if not higher quality players that end up getting paid less due to that supply and demand because there's so many American players. Now, I understand that, but back a few years ago, the average salary disparity actually had Americans, when you take away the starting quarterback salaries, and they're all American, they were at the time, Nathan Rourke looks like he's going to start for the BC Lions this year, however, but it's at a bargain rate, $80,000. But the average salary for an American non-quarterback in the CFL was $93,000. The average salary for a Canadian in the CFL was $80,000. So in actuality, the Americans make more on average, but where you see the discrepancy is certainly at the higher end of those pay scales. Justin Duncan, Three Down Nation is with us, getting ready for CFL training camps, hopefully, and of course the season just around the corner. On a positive note, when for folks that you know enjoy and believe in having Canadians starting in the league, we had a first-round Canadian quarterback go in the draft last week, and the uh, the Elks have just signed um, Canadian quarterback Trey Ford. Of course, his brother was drafted 13th by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I want to ask you about the draft, but in particular, I mean, as a former QB yourself, how significant is it to see a Canadian quarterback go that high in the draft? And uh, what are the prospects of seeing? And listen, at the same time, we're going to see Canadians play quarterback in BC right now. At least that's how it's set up to go going in with Nathan Rourke, the projected starter. Um, are things changing when it comes to Canadian quarterbacks and uh, how they're being produced and how they're being at least considered for playing time in the CFL? Times are certainly a change, and I'm obviously biased as a former University of Guelph quarterback myself, but Trey Ford is a generational athlete. I don't care where he's from, what it says on his birth certificate. We're talking about a guy that runs in the 4-4s in the 40, jumps well into the 30s in his vertical jump. Now, you might not be doing much jumping as a quarterback, but it just shows you his athletic ability. He had at least 24 teams, if not more, reach out to Warriors head coach Chris Bertoia, NFL teams that in, is to do background research on Ford leading into the NFL draft because of how well Ford performed at the University at Buffalo Pro Day. There were a number of scouts on both sides of the border that said Ford was the best player on the field that day at a Pro Day held on a campus of an NCAA Division I program. So that shows you the ability of Ford. Now, the kicker with him in terms of why he didn't get more of a legitimate NFL shot yet was because scouts found it tricky to evaluate the film of a Canadian quarterback playing U sports football in the caliber around him. So the Elks make him the first Canadian quarterback selected in the first round of the CFL draft since 1980. It's been over 40 years since a quarterback was taken in the first round, and he's actually elected not to go to New York Giants rookie minicamp, which is this coming weekend. This past weekend, he was at the Baltimore Ravens rookie minicamp, getting in front of their coaches and scouts because he wanted to get to Edmonton, learn the playbook. And I'm sure Chris Jones said, hey, come here, don't get behind, and we'll find a way to get you on the field. And if you earn more of a role, we'll give it to you because we know Chris Jones loves is ultra athletic football players. How good's his brother? Because his brother went off the board of 13 for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers playing on the other side of the uh, of the field. Tyrell's really good too, a guy that has that 4-4 type range speed, their twin brothers. So 
they look similar. They play similar in terms of when they're at their positions, very smooth and both ultra fast and ultra athletic. Tyrell Ford was a guy though at the university of Waterloo that didn't see receivers that were at his caliber in terms of the pure athleticism. So in times you can talk to CFL scouts and they'll say, well, it looked like Tyrell Ford was a little bit bored out there and he's trying to bait quarterbacks into throws because nobody's really throwing at him. But he has the ability to be a starter, no doubt, in the CFL at corner, potentially even at safety. He could be a versatile piece in that secondary for the Blue Bombers. JD, what were your other takeaways from the draft? We saw a couple of interesting trades, including a couple involving Edmonton, Winnipeg involved in one. I mean, uh, what were your takeaways from uh, last Tuesday? Yeah, really the big moves that stuck out to me were the Montreal Alouettes having conviction and going up to number one and selecting Syracuse University linebacker Tyrell Richards first overall when a lot of people felt like that was a guy that could fit the way Chris Jones likes to play defensive football because Richards lined up at defensive line, linebacker and defensive back at the CFL Combine, the only player ever to do so. So a lot of people felt like Jones was going to keep that pick, but really he wanted to get Trey Ford. So the Owls take him number one. And then what I thought was a really prudent move by the Tiger Cats, they didn't end up having a first round pick, but as part of that deal to trade it away, they get Kyle Saxlid, who's definitely a guy that can play right tackle for you and potentially left tackle for the Tiger Cats, which is a spot that they needed to fill. And also they get Grant McDonald, who's an up and coming Canadian linebacker, two guys that had the pro experience under their belt instead of a draft that was a little bit weaker the Thai Cats decide not to pick in the first round and get two, I won't say proven yet, but two guys who could become high-quality CFL players. You know, um, we were just talking about Trey Ford, and, and to me, maybe the most interesting thing in the entire league right now is Chris Jones, how he's going to remake that Elks roster, and especially the quarterback position. Um, People might not remember, but Nick Arbuckle got traded there and got some guaranteed money for this year. They've since drafted a first-round quarterback. They've signed former OSU star, uh, Ohio State star, Cardale Jones. What's Chris Jones up to? And in particular, how do you think things shake out at the quarterback position through camp heading into the regular season? The Arbuckle guaranteed money is a bit of a mirage, let's say, because that was a deal in the drawer from the previous general manager, Brock Sunderland, when he traded for Arbuckle last season. So Jones had been trying to see if he could get anything for Arbuckle before JT Barrett suffered an offseason injury. The other former Ohio State University star that the Elks had under contract, but he's been put on the retired list due to the injury. So now it seems like they're probably going to go have to go back to that route with Arbuckle potentially being the starter. But I think this is wide open here. You have Cardell Jones coming in. You have Taylor Cornelius, who some feel like Jones could like. Big arm, a little more athletic than maybe given credit for, but not necessarily a Jones guy in terms of the athleticism that he wants at the position. And then you talked about it. Trey Ford comes in there, and I'm sure Jones said to Ford, in terms of him deciding not to go to New York Giants rookie minicamp, come in, learn this playbook as quickly as you can. And if you play well, there could be more of an opportunity to get you on the field here, get you some legitimate film that the NFL teams can look at. And we got to remember the option window is back in contract. So even though Ford has signed a three-year deal with the Elks, if he's in the CFL, it'll be with Edmonton. But at the end of every year, he'll have that opportunity to be looked at for NFL teams. So I'm sure that factored into this decision. And to me, it's a quarterback spot that is wide open. Yeah, I mean, that entire 
training camp, I'm sure, will be one of the most interested in the entire league. When we look at the landscape of the Western Division, I think most would agree that the Bombers are the team to beat in the Canadian Football League as defending champs and bringing back most of those guys. How do you see things, in your opinion, going into the season right now? And granted, lots can change. Who are the biggest challengers in the West right now to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, do you think? Ooh, to me, it's got to either be Saskatchewan and Calgary. And some people might go, really? You think the Stamps can contend? Well, if Bo Levi Mitchell is healthy and that arm is feeling good, then we know the Stamps are going to be in contention. Look, at last year he had a broken leg. Yes, he led the league in interceptions, but still kicked and dragged and got the Stampeders into the playoffs. And yes, Jake Mayer helped. So that's a part of that. So I think it's Saskatchewan and Calgary that are at the top. And you know Chris Jones is going to have his team ready to play. There's so many new pieces there, though. It's hard to figure out. I want to say that I think the BC Lions are going to be really good because they're looking like they're going to go with Nathan Rourke as a starting quarterback there, a Canadian, and then Michael O'Connor backing him up. And they've certainly got the firepower on offense with Lucky Whitehead and Brian Burnham. That defense needs to play much better. But even more importantly, they have to protect whoever's throwing the rock. And it looks like it's going to be Rourke. That offensive line has to be better if the Lions want to contend. So right now, the top contenders for the Bombers got to be the Rough Riders and the Stamps. Talking CFL, heading into training camp with Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation. Make sure to give Justin a follow on Twitter and uh, check out all their great work along with our pal John Hodge over at Three Down. Uh, We are going to get back to hockey, but one more for you. Dustin Nielsen and I were doing our uh, Tuesday edition of The Lock Shop yesterday, and we finished talking of some hockey and NBA, and then we're looking at the odds, the win totals for the league. And the East was fascinating, J.D. You had all four teams with win totals over unders, either nine and a half or eight and a half, which tells me that this is maybe the most wide open division we've seen in years, certainly from the perspective of the books. Uh, how do you see the East shaping up on paper, at least going into the season? it's going to be certainly competitive. And that's a big difference, especially for the Red Blacks who were at, I believe, three and a half last yeah, year. And I remember eight asking... eight and a half now. Yeah, a five-win difference. I remember asking former GM also Desjardins, should we be betting on, you know, what should we be betting on? And he said, well, if you want to lose your money, bet on the under. And it actually came in on the under. So we'll see what happens this season for the Red Blacks. But I think it's a great indication of how at least the odds makers feel about the East division, it could go a number of ways. I still think Dane Evans needs to prove that he can be the guy because he's always had Jeremiah Masoli with him. We know Masoli can be the dude. Now he's in Ottawa with an entirely new team around him and a creative offensive mind in Paul Apolis. So if they can come together quickly, the Red Blacks are certainly intriguing. In Montreal, you got Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback there. They bring back Trevor Harris and Danny Machocha feels like they have the best quarterback situation in the league. And it would honestly be hard to argue. I still think there's some other question marks there for the Red Blacks, especially on defense, namely with their pass rush. You need to get after the quarterback much better. And Toronto was sort of this upstart team last year. But you look at the pieces they had, and of course, with Andrew Harris, you got to think that they're potentially going to even be more dangerous on offense. So it looks like a wide-open East right now. Well, J.D., we're looking forward to uh, hopefully getting this labor stuff done, getting the players on the field, getting some preseason action in a couple weeks, and then uh, getting ready to go and see if the Bombers can go back to back to back. That's certainly what people around here are thinking about right now. Thanks so much. Fill people in on uh, what you and uh, John Hodge have heading into uh, training camps over at three down. 
Appreciate you, Hustler, man. I'd rather be talking about footballs than paperwork, okay? So we're going to be covering the CBA negotiations. Hopefully that gets tidied up. And then all of the latest news you'll be able to catch at 3downation.com. We're going to have an early look at some of the top prospects to keep an eye on for next year's draft. The East-West Bowl, the U-Sports East-West Bowl, that is, was just played. And then also we're going to look at what are some of the biggest position battles on every team across the league and what are some of the biggest questions and i'm sure bolivai mitchell's arm will be one of them great stuff john uh justin and say hi to john and uh we'll look forward to doing this hopefully on the reg throughout the season cannot wait to get back to uh, ig field and uh get back watching these games and uh not talking as we mentioned about labor negotiations but talking about the stars of the canadian football league have a great one appreciate you you too hustler well said man Good stuff. There it is at jdunk12 on Twitter. That's Justin Duncan. Make sure to uh, follow on Twitter, 3 Down Nation. Uh, they do a great job of posting all of their stories. And uh, if you're a CFL fan, that is a go-to spot on the daily. All right, we're going to get back to some hockey. Talk to Murata Tesh of The Athletic coming up in just a second. I'm doing more hydration. Great moves. Culligan's got us covered. I know Remus just had a delivery coming over a couple days ago. And uh, who wouldn't? Because Culligan Water has uh, celebrating over 65 years as being the go-to people for water services in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services available, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Visit them over at 1200 Sargent Avenue. You can hit them up at 694-5180 or find out more on what they can do for the home, the cottage, the office at culliganwater.com. Manitoba Battery continues to save Manitobans time and money with the best prices on batteries of all shapes and sizes down on Logan Avenue. Save the trip to Costco, save the gas, talk to the experts at Manitoba Battery and get the best prices in town while shopping local, not to mention they'll buy your old battery back back from you. 1026 Logan Avenue with extended spring hours now open till 8 p.m. each and every day. And uh, what your best bet might to do is give them a call at 783-8787. They'll have everything ready for you to pick up quick and easy down at Manitoba Battery. And you can also check them out at manitobabattery.com. Now we're talking football. We're talking hockey. We're going to be talking a lot of soccer. I took in the Valor FC home opener on the weekend. Had a great time there. And of course, you could just feel the excitement amongst soccer fans about Canada being back in the World Cup. And the new Canada World Cup merch is coming in now at Royal Sports. Big shipment already in this week. Alfonso Davies jerseys, Team Canada jerseys, and of course, the Weekend 22 World Cup shirt now available over at Royal Sports. And while you're there, check out their massive expanded soccer section not to mention soccer, baseball, expanded fitness gear, and of course, a great selection of bikes to get out and dominate our all-too-short spring and summer here in Manitoba. Royal Sports is at 750 Pemina Highway, and make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for their latest merchandise drops and sales, probably a big tent sale coming up soon as well. All right, let's talk some puck. Murata Tesh of The Athletic is back with us, and oh, we've got a lot to discuss with Murat. How are you, my friend? What's going on? Awesome. Doing well. I missed you. You know, uh, I'm ready to be back. And everything has happened since I was here last. Well, no kidding. Um, 
let's start off with the coach. I mean, we're kind of jokingly calling it Trot's Watch on the program. Um, first off, Monday morning, you hear the news. How surprised were you that Barry Trotz was all of a sudden a free agent? And I know you did an extensive piece in The Athletic on it. Uh, your thoughts on what a great fit he would be if the Winnipeg Jets were able to convince one of the NHL's most successful coaches to come back to his home province of Manitoba. You know what? I was surprised. I was genuinely surprised, Cus, that Barry Tross was fired by the Islanders. I thought that his league-wide renown, the fact that he'd taken them to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, uh, the way that he'd won that Stanley Cup with Alex Ovechkin famously buying into the team game, I mean, everything was going right for this man until this season. I thought that he would be a, a no-brainer to rehire. Now, of course, his assistant Brad Lambert, uh, uh, Lane Lambert, pardon me, I've got some prospects in my mind from, from the NHL draft lottery. Uh, but Lane Lambert is thought of as, a, as an extremely up-and-coming, highly touted next-generation coach, and maybe that's a, a direction the Islanders go. All this thing, shocked, surprised. My phone blew up before I saw it on a news source. And... The reason I think so many people are excited is because what Barry Trotz is renowned for is exactly what Winnipeg appears to need. Defensive structure, sticks in lanes, collapsing uh, down low, all five men committed, a sense of accountability, buy-in, and a level of, of standards, I think, defensively in two-way that a lot of people uh, believe, and myself included, that Winnipeg needs to get to. Barry Trotz has demonstrated an ability to get that out of teams, maybe not for seven or 12 years at a time in recent stints, pardon me, but for three or four years, it seems like he can get an awful lot out of uh, out of what looked to be an average team in New York. So, I mean, I'm excited. I have to think that he's the, the top coach on the market. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, there's a number of, um, you know, intriguing possibilities on what trots will do and i mean we've spoken and we'll kind of focus more in on the hockey side but as i've been talking about the last couple you know days here on the show um there's some real significant challenges for the organization overall outside of the actual hockey product now at the end of the day it's all tied back to wins and losses and how the team performs but for a, a group a management team that you know not all but i mean has lost some of the confidence of a part of the uh, a part of the fan base and certainly that was loud and clear in your fan poll at the athletic um there simply is not a more impactful guy you could get the name on the dotted line to i think reinvigorate a fan base and introduce some confidence that the team is going in the right direction yeah it's it's a matter of his stature and standards that Barry Trotz would bring. I mean, after a disappointing season, all the hype, but the playoff miss, all of that consternation around, well, what did Mark Shifley say in his exit interview? What did Pierre-Luc Dubois say? Are there going to be major transformations or can these guys be made, major transformations roster-wise, I should say, or can these guys be made to buy in and take one more really solid run, You know, knowing that you have somebody who is, of the best coaches in the National Hockey League for the last however many years. I mean, that's a level of, you can sell optimism with that. You can sell optimism, not just to the fan base, but to the players who are a little bit uncertain, to some players who may have privately expressed that they want out. Well, hey, wait a second. There's all of a sudden another reason to get excited and believe that they can get to get to a level. And believe me, us, you know, we talk about that fan survey. We talk about the, fan reaction to these things, there is a sense, and I certainly contributed to it 
by pre presenting Barry Trotz as, as an elite of a coach as I believe him to be. But there's a sense in the fan base that you do this one thing, this last year's forgotten and forgiven. And that might be a little bit extreme. I mean, we should have some grace for the possibility he might not want to sign here. Um, but there's this sense that this one move could fix everything, whether that's true or not. Well, you know, you're exactly right. And I, I, I'll say that there's no one that would fix more things on the list signing than Barry Trotz. And, and the reason why I bring up the business side of things when it comes to regaining the confidence of fans, when it comes to some season tickets, maybe holding on to a few more of them, uh, maintaining corporate sponsorship, um, that's a huge part of running a business, which is what the National Hockey League is. And it's extremely challenging doing it in the smallest market, in the smallest building. Uh, and the erosion of what's happened over the last couple of years, I think, has been incredibly concerning. Now, I also think that the Winnipeg Jets didn't have a Barry Trotz-like figure in the coaching budget, if you will. But I will make the argument that based on everything that we've said, that it would be money well spent and it would be paid back quickly, I would think, in maintaining a number of the customer base, reinvigorating the excitement, and hopefully moving past. And to your point about everything that happened last week, um, or uh, sorry, last season, um, you know, from a hockey standpoint, this is a guy that has built teams that has earned buy-in and earned confidence and, you know, earned the, uh, the mantle of one of the top coaches in all of hockey. And many people will put him at the top of the list right now. So, I mean, when we're talking about checking the boxes of what this Winnipeg Jet team needs, and there's a lot coming out of this season, um, Barry Trotz certainly at the, at the, uh, at the top of the list. Let me ask you this. If they were able to get it done, and again, it's a big if we're getting ahead of ourselves, but if he did, I talked about this yesterday, and I mean, I've been kind of clear. I think that there's some big changes that need to be happened, particularly in the in the core. Um, and I think my perspective, and I think many people, was that Mark Scheifele was at the top of that list, and I think that he would have put himself at the top of that list considering what we heard from him. If Barry Trotz is signed here, do you think that changes the Shifley situation here in that you've got a guy that has done exactly as you mentioned with a player like Alex Ovechkin that has got him to buy in? Um, or is the Shifley situation at a spot and where his contract is with two years left that it, regardless of what happens with the coaching staff, a significant change to the core needs to be made. And, um, you know, because of many reasons that we've talked about a number of times over the last little while, Shifley, regardless of, frankly, what he said at the end, which I think would push him either closer to that direction, uh, would be at the top of that list. You know what? I think that he is the number one figure with Winnipeg right now, Mark Shifley. And I've talked to some people, Hus, who would know Mark Shifley better than I do and who actually can say that they know him or have been around the team. And the sense that I get is there's no malice in it. There's no, there's no villain in this story. But what he said to media probably reflects an honest assessment of how he's feeling and what he's thinking. And when I hear that and I think about this, I need to see what the team is going to do before I think about my future talk, I think that maybe, and this is me speaking now, like I think that it reflects a level of self-awareness or maturity that Mark Shikley has yet to necessarily get to. The dream is the Steve Eiserman moment, the mythological moment where the superstar buys into the team game, puts the team above himself, and all of a sudden the team goes further as a result. If you're the Winnipeg Jets and you believe in Mark Shifley and you think he can get there, 
Well, then Barry Trotz is the closest thing you have to somebody who can walk into that room and ask for it or build up that relationship. You're not throwing a rookie coach into the Winnipeg Jets locker room or taking somebody from Europe or a, a junior level league or what have you who hasn't spent a lot of time in the NHL. And that person's not going to walk into that room and be able to do the things um, respect wise that a Barry Trotz or somebody of that ilk will be able to do. And that's what I think is really valuable here. It's possible Mark Shifley needs a change of scenery. I still believe that's a real possibility. It's possible that it takes two and that even if Barry Trotz comes in and does his best, there's a level of learning and growth that is not there. And this feels so, I don't know, airy to say about Mark Shifley. I don't know on an intimate personal level, but that's my perception from having been around the team. Um, but if you're the Winnipeg Jets, Barry Trotz is your best bet. And unless you're absolutely out on the player of Mark Shifley, um, you know, I think that, like you say, it's worth the return financially. It's worth the return because the Winnipeg Jets have invested so much into trying to get this one-two center pop and to not actually get a proper look at what it looks like would be devastating, I bet, to management and ownership. No, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, if it can help you get Dubois signed long-term, the bottom line is on the line A trade, if Dubois does not sign a, you know, a, an extension buying up UFA years, Regardless of what happens in the next couple seasons, it'll be looked at as a, a big, big mistake by the organization. So I, I think that, you know, aside from Shifley, that is an absolute key. And I guess the other thing, and Shifley would be at the top of the list when it comes to potential pieces moving around with considerable value coming back. I think that we have to acknowledge that Barry Trotz, with the stroke that he has and the options that he's going to have on the open market, is going to want to get paid for sure, and that'll go without saying with wherever he goes. But I think there's also going to be an element of control over the players that he's playing. Uh, and maybe that was part of what happened with Lou Lamorello at the end. Maybe there was some friction as to you know deciding who was in the lineup or not. But I do wonder about the the nature of control working with Kevin Sheveldayoff, Mark Chipman, and the organization as to how impactful he would be on some of those player moves. Um, and I mean, it just makes it that much more fascinating because he's a guy that will want a particular type of player to come in and do the job. And um, we, can, we can maybe get into, if the Jets did hire Trots, who would be the winners and who would maybe be the losers. But I'll say this, if they did get him signed relatively quickly with some time before the draft, I think Barry Trotz all of a sudden becomes a very influential figure in potential moves as well as to what he sees in this roster, what is important to keep, and maybe some other players that could come in on his watch and flourish for the Winnipeg Jets to get back to being a playoff team and challenging for a cup next year. Here's the thing. I believe that. I absolutely do. It strikes me as one of those great power comes with great responsibility moments because one of the things that we've you know, been critical about the Winnipeg Jets at times is that it seems like Mark Chipman is fairly hands-on um, in terms of how the team operates. And I've heard that from people within the team. I've heard that from people without the team. I, I don't think that's some kind of myth. Uh, he's as ha not as hands-on as any owner that has ever existed, but he certainly does have a role in how the team gets run. And you know, there's been some talk, what if there were a president of hockey operations in Winnipeg? How do you divide the balance of power? If you can arrange a situation where everybody um, is consulted just to the to the right degree, where Barry Trotz does have a substantial voice and Kevin Sheveldayoff has a voice, 
you might be able to let Mark Chipman take a bit of a step back, focus more on the business side of things or, or what have you, uh, maybe even Board of Governors stuff, NHL-wide, you know, and, um, and really entrust the people with the hockey ops jobs to the hockey ops. Like, there's an opportunity there that, of course, also becomes a challenge if there's a bit of a too many cooks in the kitchen type of feel or what those conflicts might look like, if any. Um, and of course, part of the interview process would be to see if Shevel Dayoff and Trotz and everybody sees eye to eye on those sorts of things. Because there is such thing as um, as a coach who has player types that excel under like under his watch. Um, one of the first messages I got was from somebody who knows Trotz's resume very well um, and who has seen him interact with players, who suggested, well, you know who's going to get ground into a pulp is probably Mark Shifley and maybe Kyle Connor even on the defensive side of things. Which is interesting because, you know, there's such tremendous offense there. Connor just hit 93 points. You know, there's some give and take in that regard. And then the theory would be that a real strong 200-foot capable player who's still growing, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, might have the most to gain from a Barry Trotz-type uh, coaching regime if he can play that defensive zone style that Trotz really enjoys. Well, it is a great point. And listen, I have no knowledge as to, you know, what the issues for Mark Shifley have been, but I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he has two years left before signing probably one more significant deal in the National Hockey League. And if you're most, if you're very concerned, I won't say most concerned, but if you're very concerned with maintaining your numbers and offensive production, because at the end of the day, that more often than not is what gets you an extra zero on your contract. I do wonder whether there would be some offense that would have to be sacrificed to fit into the Barry Trot system at the benefit of the team, but maybe at the, uh, uh, maybe the agent wouldn't be as happy because you might not have those same sort of numbers. That being said, I mean, I, I, I throw that out because that is something that people will think of, but I'll say this. If Mark Shifley's worried about that next contract, we already know that the guy can score at a prolific level. If the next couple seasons he turned into a more reliable player that could be counted on by a guy like Barry Trotz that could grow into you know, a player that is far more a 200-foot player, to be honest, you know that the guy can score. If you're talking about potential free agency, I actually do think that would really help his status. Although if you're just simply looking at goals and assists, maybe it doesn't. I mean, that's an interesting point, right? The theory is that you look at 6.125 million, you look at what Kyle Connor has made, you look at what players around the league have made who aren't the offensive equal of Mark Shifley, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, two years from now, he's going to want to get paid back for all of that underpayment on the Jets' part since then on the contract that the two parties signed. Um, the, the, but I agree with you. There's this weird thing that happens in the NHL where sometimes star players on losing teams get completely undervalued. Right. Like people talk about Connor McDavid sometimes as not a winner or Austin Matthews is not a winner or something to that effect because their teams haven't gone deep in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe there's some lessons that they still need to learn. But are they anything but the two best players on the planet? Absolutely not. And you look at a Connor McDavid type of career path where, yeah, his defensive impact was pretty poor for a lot of years. But this year and a little bit of last as well, all of a sudden there's a major turn in that. And there's a real sense of commitment. What happened to Connor McDavid's offense? It didn't go anywhere. He still got to be Connor McDavid because the puck was going in the right direction so much more frequently with him on the ice. And that's a special thing. If you can turn Mark Shifley into a guy who 
isn't necessarily cheating, waiting for that moment for the puck to go the right direction, but can be counted on to be part of the force that turns the puck over and goes in the right direction in the defensive zone, transitioning into offense. Well, he's going to get a solid amount of looks. He's still going to get his chances to shine. And league stigma-wise, like imagine this, Hus. Imagine the Jets miss the playoffs next year. Who's looking at Mark Scheifele as a winner capable of transforming a, a, a team's fortunes? You know, you need Winnipeg to have team success to pair with his offensive excellence before somebody's going to look at what's going to be a 31-year-old unrestricted free agent and think that that's the bet to, to you know, spend eight, nine, ten million on. No, it's a great, great point. And you sort of touched on this before, but I'll ask you. I mean, you know, if, and it's a huge if, if the Jets were able to get Barry Trotz, uh, you know, as the head coach, you would expect, the expectations would be that the team would be better and the team would be better off for it. Who would be the winners and losers in the locker room right now, right now as constructed? I mean, you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'd throw Connor Hellbuck maybe up at the top of the list right now. I think that you want to talk about putting a smile on a goaltender's face, let them know that Barry Trotz is going to be your coach. But when you look at the Jets, I mean, are there players that you think would benefit or you think that others that might, you know, maybe not fit in? I mean, that's a that's a great question. And I'll start by agreeing with you on Connor Hellebuck. I mean, you look at the numbers of Braden Holtby had in Washington. You look at the New York Islanders winning the Jennings Trophy, I believe. And maybe Braden Holtby shared one of those as well in Washington. I mean, you know, if you're looking for some demonstrable impact on the quality of shots a goaltender faces, look at a Barry Trotz team. And he is, you know, one of a handful of coaches capable of that. There are 32 head coaches in the NHL, but maybe not you know, 32 top flight ones. And we know that he has had that impact, you know, most of his seasons as a, as a head coach in the National Hockey League. That's pretty impressive. Um, but to try, to try to suss out the rest of it, I think you're looking for those players that can commit to a two-way game who can do the same thing over and over again. Because one of the tiring aspects of playing Barry Trotz-style hockey, I think, is being asked to be in the right lane with the stick in the right position every single time without fail. And there's a level of consistency that gets asked for. So, you know, without even thinking of the locker room dynamics, if you're going to look at players who are especially consistent, how about Blake Wheeler? Here's an interesting situation where simultaneously, the Jets probably get more with less Wheeler minutes, and like, you know, from first line style to second or third line. But at the same time, his effort level and consistency tends to be up there. If there's... Let's put it this way. If there's buy-in on Wheeler's part and he's not an island and he's you know integrated with the team and all those sorts of things, and he maintains that effort level that we've known forever, well, he might be able to get that olive branch from Barry Trotz to reestablish himself as you know as a major leader, but from a little bit further back in the pecking order. There's something interesting to me about, about what that dynamic might be like. Um, and then you're looking at how the young offensive stars look. And, and, you know, what does Nick Ehlers' game look like? Because he has a similar game in some ways to Matthew Barzell and that there's a tremendous amount of transition play available to him. Those two are 10. They tend to be in the top five in transition offense up there with McDavid and otherwise. So it seems to me that Trotz can still get a lot out of that type of player. But then what gets asked for on the defensive end? How do those minutes get aligned? Do the Jets run under Trotz? Would they run? a soft minutes offensive line like Barzal that gets pushed out in an attempt to make up for all the offense that the rest of the team didn't get. You know, I think, man, that's a great question. And that's as far as I can take it right now. That's what comes to mind.
Yeah, well, I mean, again, you know, we're all sort of, you know, talking about this in real time right now as, you know, uh, you know, it's been 48 hours or whatever since we found out that Barry Trotz was on the market. And I know some people in the chat are like, how is he not signed already? Well, listen, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And, you know, from Trotz's perspective, I mean, unless there's a real want to come back to Manitoba to know that's a special opportunity considering everything else that he's done, maybe to be closer to some friends and family and realize how impactful he could be as somewhat of a hometown hero doing it. I mean, like that's the best thing that the Jets would have going for them, but that's a big thing. That's totally up to Barry Trotz. Otherwise, um, you know, like Pierre Lebrun, your colleague reported earlier this week, I mean, he's going to take at least a week. I was glad that it wasn't like a month or two <laughs> to see it because <laughs> I really do think that this is incredibly important. And the best case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets, if they were able to get something done, would be able to do it sooner as opposed to later. Have plenty of time for Trotz to integrate himself into with Shevel Day off and whatnot. Look ahead to both the draft as well as the huge decisions that Shevel Dayoff has from a general manager's perspective as to how to tweak this roster or potentially overhaul this roster for a new head coach going forward. Uh, Murata Tesh of The Athletic is with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, make sure to hit that red subscribe button if you're new. Great to have you all with us. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, do us a favor. Hit the little five-star rating and a review. Always helps us spread the channel. Murat, last night, I'm interested as to what your night was like because – we all sort of paid attention to what was happening at the draft lottery, although I think we all sort of knew it was highly probable, like 95% probable the Jets were picking 14th, where they are picking right now. But, you know, you had the half-hour draft special, and like an hour later, I'm reading a mock draft with you and your colleagues from The Athletic. What? Uh, tell us about what last night was like and how this all came together before we talk about what the Winnipeg Jets situation was at 14th. Yeah, you know what, at The Athletic, when it comes to prospect coverage, Corey Pronman and Scott Wheeler, I mean, they're the drivers of that bus. They're the ones all year long doing the top top 10, top 20, top 30, top 200 rankings on draft-eligible prospects. And so they wanted to take the lead and come up with a mock draft within, I don't know, it was a couple hours, was it less than that, like, of, of the draft lottery results. So we're all in this sort of group chat um, as the lottery gets uh, gets underway, we had a live blog at the site where everybody we were talking about what odds each team had, what you would do if you know what would the Jets do at number four, for example, could they take Matthew Savoy, you know, for example, that kind of thing. Um, and then as soon as the as soon as the draft order was known, well, we took turns going through uh, from one to seventeen. We included Nashville, the first round loser, at seventeenth overall. And we went pick by pick. What would the teams do if the board broke that way? And so what that meant was, you know, the last couple of days were spent reading everything Pronman or Wheeler or any of those guys had read so that we'd be well-versed. And, you know, I like to think I took a pretty uh, pretty talented, flashy, um, flashy at times, but extremely fast and committed center in Frank Nazar. Yeah, well, let's talk about Frank Nazar. I mean, we can get you know maybe to some of the other players and some of the other discussions that went around. But um, this is a center from uh, the National Development Program. The Jets have had uh, a lot of success picking some you know American players either from colleges, the uh, USHL where Kyle Connor was before he went to Michigan. Um, he's a center. Tell us more about this player that uh, fell to the Jets in your first attempt at a mock. Well, yeah, that's. Fell to the Jets is a great way to put it because Nazar is thought of as a top 10 talent. And if you're a Winnipeg Jets fan and you watch the last couple of drafts, I mean, Cole Perfetti falling to the Jets at 10, Chaz Lucius falling to the Jets at 18. I think that Winnipeg 
got so fortunate, and we'll see how these players' careers go, of course. There's always surprises. But on draft day, they would have had to have gone home both times thinking, my goodness, you know, we didn't have a lot of picks, but look what we were able to do in the first round. And with the Jets picking 14th, that's exactly the same type of vibe they'll hope for, that a top 10 talent like perhaps Nazar in this case, Beatty, willing to go to the dangerous areas, a little bit undersized, and that's the concern about whether he'll be able to be a dominant center. But he seems to be, uh, you know, to read Pronman, to watch the video, willing to go to the toughest areas of the ice and generate offense from there. And he's done a lot of that for the US NDTP. So that's a player thought of as top 10 that could slide. But, you know, as I'm waiting and watching that draft board uh, unfold, I'm wondering, is six foot four center Connor Geeky going to be available? You know, Strath's players uh, finest or maybe Morgan Geeky. I don't know what the brother relationship is like in that family, right? But um, that that is a player that could be available there. Dominion City's Denton Matichuk uh, is another player that could be available there. There are some really, whether it's centers, whether it's defensemen, like um, like is, a, is available, there are options. And I think Winnipeg at 14, it's just going to be their job to clean up the best player available that's left as teams go this way or that and some surprises unfold on draft day. Well, I, it, we've seen it happen a number of times. I mean, many people thought the same thing happened with Nikolai Ehlers falling into their lap. And maybe the best example of that is Kyle Connor at 17. It's funny, we were just speaking about Matthew Barzell. He went the selection before and Thomas Shabbat went afterwards after the Bruins famously picked other guys at 13, 14 and 15. But when you are in the middle of the draft, I mean, it, it sort of is incumbent on your scouting staff to have a real good pulse on the talent level of those players. Because at that point, especially with the timeline of the National Hockey League draft, you're not necessarily, I guess in some ways you might be drafting for need if your pipeline is completely skewed one side or the other. But that doesn't really seem to be the case for the Winnipeg Jets right now. No, I mean, you might argue that it's leaning defense heavy, but there, there aren't a ton of absolutely elite studs, you know, coming at that defensive pipeline. There's some possible top four options. You'd like to see more from Ville Hainala, Dylan Samberg, Declan Chisholm. Uh, we'll see if he plays tonight for the Moose, but like, he's been one of the best players for Manitoba through the playoffs, a real impressive player. But you don't have that, you know, that Matichuk or that that type of uh, top flight defenseman on the way. So you wouldn't feel begrudged if the Jets go that way. And at the same time, both Cole Perfetti and Chaz Lucius, as dynamic as they are, as brilliant as they are, neither one is absolutely guaranteed to be an NHL centerman, right? I mean, you see Perfetti break in on the wing. We'll see what becomes of Lucius as well. Um, it seems as though you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois is that young center to be, and you're going to need a replacement or contingency plan for him. Um, you know, even at, even if he stays in Winnipeg for a long time, you need that next wave if there's any chance at all. I mean, that's a, that's an area you might prioritize. The Jets don't like taking goaltenders early. We haven't seen that. They seem to take one late, fifth, sixth, or seventh round almost every draft. That's how they got Connor Hellebuck. And if you're looking into the long term, I mean, maybe Arvid Holm is your guy. Maybe Eric Comrie can continue to take incredible steps forward. But that's a that's a late round thing that you're looking for. Um, Winnipeg needs help at every position. It's not because of poor drafting. It's because of not enough picks. And whatever they do, as long as they get somebody who uh, who covers the bet for that spot, I think is is what they'll look for. You know, and just just quickly on Matichuk for a minute, who's uh, playing, I believe, with Moose Jaw right now, going up against the uh, or the uh, you know has been up going up against the the Winnipeg Ice in the playoffs. 
Um, if he was there and the Jets decided to select him, one of the more interesting um, sides to that would be, and regardless of the coach, I mean, whether it's Barry Trotz or not, um, you know, they're packed right now with defensive prospects that seem ready to go. They also are packed with veteran defensemen that are on contract. And we know that that'll be, you know, an issue for Shevel Dayoff to try to open up a little bit of that. But a selection like Matichuk might potentially kick a decision down the road a little bit and at the same time give them some capital to potentially move for a player that can help them right now. And of course, you know, we're talking about that group. I think Dylan Sandberg's going to be a player next year, but you know, we've still wait, waited for Billy Hanola to be a regular with the Winnipeg Jets. If they think that Matichuk can be that guy in a year or two, maybe that opens up the potential for trade opportunities, not only with some of the veteran players, but as well as a prospect or two. Yeah, and I wrote to that effect in that mock draft as well, because I think that's realistic, Us, I think that that's possible. Winnipeg is a franchise right now. They're not in tank mode. This isn't a team that's going to be looking at a whole bunch of top five picks in the next several years, nor are they obvious cup contenders. They missed the playoffs with a, with a playoff-worthy roster this past year. So how do the Jets see themselves? How are they going to approach this next little while? And I think that they like their veteran roster. I think that they think if they can get the right coach in here and change the way some of these guys play, even if they have to make a move or two, that this is a playoff team. And if that's the case, then that logjam on defense, I don't think they're going to move four veterans to make room for Sandberg and Hanela and make sure that Logan Stanley gets third pairing time and consider Declan Chisholm's future and all those sorts of things. It's at least possible that they go a different route and they ship from the future. And if you are able to pluck a Matichuk or some of the other highly touted offensive defensemen, and there's a few uh, who are very similar to, to Hanela in maybe a little bit more advanced of a way, five foot ten, five foot eleven, great at transition, all that sort of stuff. I bet you if if Winnipeg were to take a defenseman like that, they'd get calls and they probably explore calls with Billy Hanela as well in an attempt to find balance on the roster, knowing that the skill set was replicated. Uh, yeah, Ice actually lost last night after two blowout wins at home. Uh, they're playing again tonight. It was interesting from that athletic piece, and folks, you can go there. Uh, the players, the, the you know, the uh, writers like Murat covering the Winnipeg Jets made the selections for theirs. Both Matt Savoy and Connor Geeky both ended up going to the Columbus Blue Jackets courtesy of Aaron Portsline. Wouldn't that be something if that happened? I mean, that I, I messaged Portie right away in the uh, in the mock draft thread that we had going. And I'm like, hey, if you need a tour of rural Manitoba at any time, just get that John Deere hat out and, uh, you know, we'll go for a ride. Because, um, I mean, what, the Dominion City? I, and I don't know the Matichuk family, so I don't know if they still have roots there. And then, of course, Strathclair as well. I mean, this is some of Manitoba's, you know, salt of the earth, absolutely. And, you know, I just imagine those two joining... Patrick Liney and Jack Roslovic down the road. What a strange pipeline that would have become. <laughs> no doubt. There's some irony in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, anything else stand out to you from uh, from last night? One of the things that I think a lot of people didn't realize, I mean, you think back to the Seth Jones trade and go, wow, okay, Columbus has two picks. Who would have thought that the Buffalo Sabres selection that they got from Jack Eichel would be in the top half of the draft? Buffalo all of a sudden seems to be in a good spot. And obviously Montreal, I mean, 
They worked hard for that number one pick this year, and uh, and they got it. And that's going to make everything around the draft in Montreal, I think, that much more of a spectacle as well. Not to mention all the talent coming back, coming into the league via the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I'll be at that draft, and I just look forward to the crowd response. I look forward to the chanting and the you know crazy Canadians fans or what have you as well. I think that Montreal. Um, is in a unique spot. They've changed uh, some elements of you know management. They've changed coaching, and we'll see what happens uh, in, in their future. They've got a lot of young talent. You might, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, think that you could really accelerate you know a rebuild if you feel like you need to use that word with the number one overall pick with that young talent. And like I gotta say, like what if they come making a, a sizable pitch for a Pierre Luc Dubois type as well? I mean that team's not. They weren't necessarily i mean i i to go as far as they did last year you know i think was a was a little bit surprising but for them to fall off as far as they did also a little bit surprising and they might think that they can get back into the top half in a hurry if they make the right moves hey just quickly before we go what do you think of the games last night i mean that's a great comeback by the maple leafs austin matthews stepping up big time and the oilers coming all the way back to tie it and then losing in crushing fashion that was a real jekyll and hyde game for edmonton and uh, many of their issues were completely self-inflicted i thought well i mean it, what was it was that duncan keith on that overtime bowl uh, oh, oh it was duncan keith yeah he got he got so, completely oh and by the way some breaking news just over while we've been speaking does uh darnell nurse is suspended for game six so let's say Huge loss for Edmonton facing elimination going into uh, L.A. I mean, good luck. Uh, good luck, Edmonton, after that. And I mean, you know, here's, here's the thing. And I, and I don't want to make because I followed the Edmonton Oilers for a lot of years. Right. I, I, I followed them probably as closely for a lot of years as I follow the Jets now. And to see the to see Winnipeg have some struggles and get to the spot where it is now, having missed the playoffs. Some of this stuff in Winnipeg's case is the result of them making decisions that are completely defensible. Some of it seems completely out of their control, like a Dustin Bufflin exit or what have you. You can kind of follow the plot. But if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you've trusted the prime of Connor McDavid's career to Mike Smith and Nett and you're scoring four goals a game in the playoff and playoffs and you're enduring those giveaways, you got Koskinen as a backup in that situation, and Duncan Keith, who you acquired at a great price, um, you know, to to not necessarily have the wheels to keep up to a play like that that costs you an overtime goal. Um, and you can go back and back and back, and it's never just hindsight talking. You can go to the moment of analysis, and and you can find you know some real confusion. You can't find the plot as well in Edmonton. And, of course, they're in the first round of the playoffs right now in power to them. Um, I just think that self-inflicted was a great, great word uh, on the ice with the decisions they've made off the ice as well. And you begin to wonder just to what degree that a uh, Connor McDavid prime has been squandered and has been squandered since the moment they won that draft lottery. Well, and Dreisaitl was under the weather. He played phenomenal last night. They're both score. They both get on the board and you still lose. And uh, Remo and I were talking about earlier. I mean, I still can't like, listen, it's defensible. You want to bring Mike Smith back. You don't have many other options. Fine. To sign him for two years at that age, I mean, I can't imagine there was a two-year deal on the table anywhere else in the National Hockey League. And uh, listen, I mean, they're running it back with the same guys. I'll be surprised if Koskinen, to be honest, doesn't get the start. I mean, Woodcroft won a lot of games with Koskinen on his watch over the course of the second half of the season. 
And um, it's been all Mike Smith to this point, and you can certainly point at goaltending, certainly in game one and at times last night in game five. There's a big reason why they're uh, facing the chopping block when they drop the puck in game six. Yeah, absolutely. You know, almost surprising that they haven't gone to that well earlier. But maybe that's the dark side. You know, we were talking, or I was talking about Mark Scheifele, and, you know, you want that winning culture so that people get valued. Maybe that's the dark side of of veteran reputations, like Mike Smith being the guy in a situation where he clearly hasn't been good enough to be the guy. Or uh, Duncan Keith getting acquired for, I believe, Caleb Jones was part of that. And I, and I rate that player as a, as a highly talented up-and-coming player as well. And so you you just wonder, you know, why reputation or why past results have anything to do with those moments. And uh, if if Edmonton does go down to the Los Angeles Kings, power to the Kings, they've improved so much. And my goodness, Kopitar, of course, Philip Dano as well. Um, at the same time, you have to think that they should have been able to get more out of McDavid, Dreisaitl, et cetera, in Edmonton. Yeah, no doubt about it. Murata Tesh of The Athletic is with us. We're going to be talking to Dan Fink coming up and set up uh, tonight's Game 3. I mean, if you watch the games in Milwaukee, and I know you were all over it on the weekend, it's almost hard to believe that this team is facing elimination tonight the way that they played. But uh, playoff hockey is a funny thing. Um, <laughs> what do you make of the Moose's uh, plight coming into, hopefully, three games on home ice? But it's going to take a win tonight and a win Friday to force a Game 5. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I watched both games. I had Daniel Fink on the call. You know, I'm, I'm excited for those games to be broadcast on TSN tonight as well. And, and throughout this homestand, as long as the moose can extend it on the ice, Manitoba has completely controlled the flow of play. Their defensemen have the green light to jump up into the play. Chisholm has been dynamic. Hanel controls the play. Um, Leon Gavanka is a dangerous player. Jimmy O'Linney, like the blue line has, um, so as before talking about Dylan Sandberg and Johnny Kovacevic as well, there is so much good that, that comes from the amount of pressure they put up the ice. They turn over pucks in the neutral zone. They're always on the attack. But the one thing that they can't do right now is get to the middle of the ice. And Milwaukee has completely parked the bus, five guys between the dots and in front of the net. And they're just daring Manitoba to shoot from far away. And so they're blasting away. They're looking for tips. They're looking for, um, you know, bounces or screens or what have you. What they haven't been able to do is generate those grade A's from right in tight. And so the question is going to be, do they keep blasting away? And do they finally get paid for it? Because they've gotten so many shots. And Devin Cooley's played phenomenally. Or does this strange commitment to just putting five guys in the way, could that possibly be what thwarts, what really has been an excellent performance from the Moose so far? Well, and a funny thing is, I don't think there's any way they go, uh, they don't go with Cooley, but uh, Connor Ingram, who was just playing the last couple of games for the Nashville Predators back, along with Winnipeg native Cody Glass. So they're getting, uh, getting some reinforcements at the right time. But uh, Moose know what they're going to do. We're going to talk about it with Fink coming up next. Marat, great stuff as always. Love the uh, the mock draft with uh, the rest of your colleagues at The Athletic, as well as your piece on Barry Trotz this week. And uh, I would imagine even in the offseason, the local team is going to give you plenty to write about over the course of the next little while. We'll look forward to catching up next week, my friend. Right on. Plenty to write about. Plenty on the way. <laughs> there is Marat Atesh of The Athletic at WGP Marat. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, what the heck are you waiting for? All right, we finished off talking moose with Marat. We're going to get right back to more moose conversation with Daniel Fink. The moose trying to avoid the ability to make tea times 
with a win tonight. And, of course, uh, Breezy Bend opening up on the weekend. Uh, our home for a number of years. If you're looking for a great golfing home for your family with a solid junior program, women's program, practice facility, clubhouse, patio, and great improvements to the course, Breezy Bend's the place to be. Talk to Corey Johnson. Find out about options for this year as well as into the future. And you can find out more on the course over at breezybend.ca. If you're looking for a new vehicle in town, our friends at Not Autocorp have been with us for years and are the place to go before anywhere else. If you're thinking about getting a new whip, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? And make sure to ask them about their Tesla experience program if you're interested in learning more about a potential pivot to an electric vehicle. Not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, and online at Not.ca. I'm certainly hoping there'll be a few celebratory 1919s cheers downtown after a moose win tonight. Of course, 1919, the flagship brand of Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite local beer. You can pop down and see him at William Avenue at the brewery and tap room and pick up all your favorite Little Brown Jug favorites. You can grab it at your local beer store or Manitoba Liquor Marts, or if you prefer, delivery citywide from Little Brown Jug Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Find out more online at littlebrownjug.ca. All right, let's uh, bring the Fink in. He's getting ready for a little TV time tonight. It's do or die for the Manitoba Moose, and the voice of the Moose, Daniel Fink, joins us from Canada Life Center. Dad, how's it going? How, what's the vibe around the team right now? It seemed like they were pretty loose despite a uh, must-win situation this evening. Oh, you know, we just got to get your mic hooked up. Hold on one sec here. Are you on, or is that on our end, Reem? No, that's something with him. Hold on. Okay, let's just make sure we're uh, we're he hearing Dan properly. It might be uh, collecting. And by the way, folks, a little bit of news. Uh, we did mention, and I encourage you all to get down to the game tonight. I'm going to be there, really looking forward to it. But if you're unable to do it, uh, Dan making the uh, TSN debut, I believe, along with Eric Meech and Paul Edmonds, the voice of the Winnipeg Jets, will be making uh, his, I guess, his, has he done Moose games before? I can't remember, but he'll be doing the Moose game tonight on 680 CJOB. Uh, while we get Dan up, let's get Michael Remus back in here. And uh, Remo, I know we've talked a lot about this Moose this season. It is somewhat stunning that they are in the situation that they're in right now. Uh, but as we heard from practice yesterday, a number of our colleagues and Scott Billick was there. There still is a level of confidence, not only because of the season that they've had, but because of the uh, the way that they played in Milwaukee, just getting sort of snake bit by a hot goalie that they're going to have to find a way to solve tonight. Yeah, if you look at you know a lot of the predictive analytics, like expected goals, um, Jacob Stoller spilled that out nicely. We tweeted out at SportsTalkWPG. Um, the Moose should should have at least a win. It seems like they haven't been able to score. You know, they're controlling play in terms of scoring chances, uh, shot attempts, again expected goals. So. It just hasn't gone their way, which is why I think they should be confident, uh, confident heading into Game Three. I mean, all you need is uh, is one at a time, but uh, they're definitely not getting outplayed. Uh, that's for sure. And now they return home to Canada Life Center. Well, it's got to be winning time tonight, as we mentioned. The voice of the Moose joins us today. Uh, Fink, what's the vibe around the club as we go into a must-win situation tonight? Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to get all the technical glitches out of the way before going on TV here tonight. So. <laughs> I hope I'm, I hope you can hear me now. But uh, you know what? Uh, we were downstairs kind of getting our uh, media room and stuff like that set up, which is coincidentally kind of right next to the players' meal room for, for uh, kind of pregame meal and stuff like that. And 
they're loose. They're they're feeling pretty good. I mean, it, the whole kind of theme of the last couple of days is they like the way they played for the most part in Milwaukee. They just didn't get rewarded for it. They didn't have a whole ton of finish. They ran into a hot goaltender and a lot of things combined. And uh, they came up with a couple of losses. And you know what? In a best of seven series, you'd probably be coming out of it thinking, okay, well, we've got time to let this play out. Unfortunately, in a best of five, uh, they're facing elimination tonight, but they're, they're pretty confident in what they've done so far. They're confident in how they play on home ice, and uh, they're feeling pretty good heading into this game. You know, I, I got to give you credit. I mean, you did just a phenomenal job of calling the excitement of those games from Milwaukee. I mean, it was really fun. It kind of took me back to my early Moose days when we didn't have the opportunity to watch the games on AHL TV and, you know, hanging on every minute of the uh, the road game to the playoffs before the team came back. Um, and it really did sound sort of as you described, it's like the Moose were absolutely in control. But uh, this Cooley character on the other side seemingly uh, summoning, uh, you know, some of his greatest play at the time. I mean, how important do you think getting that first goal, getting a lead tonight, getting the crowd into it and knowing that they can beat this guy will be in extending this series to game four and hopefully game five? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a situation where all is lost if they don't score the first goal, because as we've seen in this series so far, the Moose have done a pretty good job of coming back. The problem is they've given up that game-winning goal in the last few minutes or 40 seconds of the game and just don't have enough time after that. So they have been able to get back into games when they're on the back foot. But as you said, getting off to a good start, engaging what's going to be a loud crowd here at Canada Life Centre, giving themselves that boost of confidence early, that's going to be important, getting off to that good start. Because we have seen, despite the Moose putting up more than 40 shots in both games, they basically haven't had a shot on goal through the first 9 to 10 minutes of either game. So they'll be looking off to get off to a hotter start. And could you imagine the shot total if they are able to get off to a better start in one of these games? So uh, like Murata Tesh was saying, they'll be looking to control the front of the net a little better in the offensive zone at least. So uh, that's going to be one of the keys there. And they got to find a way to to make the, the starter, whoever it may be, whether it's Cooley or Ingram, uh, make his life a little miserable. Uh, I know Leon Kavanka has kind of echoed the feelings of the uh, club speaking with our good friend Jacob Stoller saying that there's not a guy in the room that doesn't think they can win three straight games against these guys, especially they know this team very well. I mean, they just had those two performances, um, but it is a real, real sense of urgency. I'd imagine every shift tonight um, from Mark Morrison's perspective, would the coach have to say this week coming out of two good performances, but again, not good enough when it comes to playoff hockey. Yeah, and he was kind of on that too about finding their chances from the right spot. So he initially kind of coming out of the games and saying, well, we weren't getting our chances in the right spot. Then he had a chance to go back, look at the video, kind of look at some of the analytics from the game. He said, well, we're getting our chances from the right spot, but we're not hitting the net or they're getting blocked. And that's something that Milwaukee does very, very well. And while a lot of the hype goes to the Moose defense, and rightfully so, it's a dynamic group. The Milwaukee defense is kind of sneaky good. They're a veteran group and for the most part, pretty heavy in front of the net. And they've done a great job at collapsing towards the net. And even if the Moose are able to get past that first layer, which especially when you're shooting from the point is what you're trying to do at the very least, that second layer has been excellent at either clearing pucks, clearing rebounds, boxing out, or just not letting the puck get through. So uh, that's what they're looking to do. They're looking to control the front of that, and they're just looking to get that finish back. I mean, we saw them put up six goals or more in three of their final four home games, of, or four games, excuse me, of the regular season. 
and uh, they hit one of these patches that uh, they have throughout the season where it becomes very tough to score. That'll happen when you're very much a blue-collar team and you don't necessarily have those natural goal scorers. So with a few days in between games, a couple of practices to sort those hands out, and you know what the uh, what is it the player ranked third best ice in the National Hockey League and arguably some of the best ice in the AHL to play on might be able to enough to turn their fortunes. Now, uh, Daniel Fink, voice of the Moose, will be calling the game tonight on TSN three as Paul Edmonds takes over on CJOB for tonight's playoff broadcast. Joining us live from Canada Life Center, um, Declan Chisholm had a couple monster games. Uh, I know there was some question as to his availability. Um, first of all, let us know how he's doing. Will he play tonight, or do we know that at this point? Um, and how impactful he was in those games and how much of a difference maker he could be tonight if he's in. Well, he was a regular participant in the morning skate, so take from that what you will, but it's the playoffs, so things a little cagey at the moment. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll find out in, what is it now, uh, about uh, four hours' time and when he's out or if he's out for uh, morning or for morning skates, uh, pre-game skate there, warm-ups. So uh, no 100% on that one, but uh, you know what? He was excellent in those two games. Uh, Leon Gavanka along with uh, Chisholm as well. That pairing has been so much fun to watch this season. They really have found some fantastic chemistry, and through those two games, I mean, they were on the ice for all three Moose goals, and Chisholm was in at the primary point, whether it was his two assists or his goal on all three goals. So they've been important parts of this, and the Moose are going to need their forwards, I think, to kind of push a little push a little more. They had a great effort. No real passengers those first two games, but they're just going to need to win that extra battle in front of the net. Uh, do we expect any changes? I mean, sometimes coaches will uh, maybe tweak lines a little bit when you're having, you know, so you're playing well but not getting offensive success. Others will say, hey, let's just keep doing what we're doing and we should be rewarded. I mean, uh, just gathering from practice this week from the morning skate today, do you expect any lineup changes that we know of or at least uh, how do you think Mark Morrison's going to be handling this challenge tonight knowing that they have to win to see another day seems like there's a couple of lines that might change up a little bit here tonight uh moving ac mont uh onto a line with gustafson and cease with uh malott and who against gear bear and i'm not quite sure where it all landed out so well again we'll have to wait till for warm-ups to to sort it all out but it looks like that top six is going to shuffle a little bit the meyer jones poli line that's going to be eternal um, for, for Mark Morris and he knows what he's going to get from those guys and then when it comes to filling in some of the gaps I mean uh, Christian Veselainen was also a question mark coming into today Luke Johnson didn't play the previous game you would imagine that he's going to come back into the lineup the Moose have been kind of uh, holding off playing him in back-to-backs after such a tough season due to injuries so uh, you would imagine he's coming back in so there might be some minor changes but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't imagine that there's going to be anything earth-shattering ahead of this pivotal game three uh, Special teams certainly was an issue. I mean, they had, I believe, 0 for 6. And 0 for 6 is not a huge body of work. I mean, it's not a massive sample, but we know how impactful it is. And I know the team has been working on the special teams, particularly the power play um, in practice. Um, It goes without saying, a boost on special teams would be huge in moving the moose a little bit forward to uh, getting back right in the series. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go one for six and you might be talking about an entirely different series at this point, right? That's that's how narrow this has been so far. So, I mean, for the power play, I mean, they got off to a rough start in that first game. Kind of the first opportunity wasn't really their second chance. They had a, some pretty good looks, just couldn't bury third chance. Not much going on. The second game, though, they had some pretty good looks. I mean, they had David Gustafson fire one right across the goal mouth uh, at one point. They hit a post right after one of the power plays. So there were chances they had their looks in that second game. 
game. It just kind of came down to finish. But definitely one of the keys for the Moose is execution. I mean, they've had a few power plays where they win that all-important opening draw, they get it into a good spot, and then somebody fans on a shot or a pass, and it's heading back down the ice. And the biggest struggle for this team has been getting into the zone cleanly. The breakout is uh, kind of stumbled at times and kind of seems to feed itself. If they're getting cleanly a couple of times, they're off and running, but uh, they have a couple of passes offline and it can be a struggle for the rest of that unit. So uh, we'll see how they fare here today. As you mentioned, it's been definitely one of the focuses. On the other side of things, the penalty kill didn't even have to do any work in game two. They had the puck so much, there wasn't really an opportunity uh, for them to take any penalties. So that'll be a key as well because this Milwaukee power play is absolutely dead. So if the Moose will be trying to stay out of the box again while taking advantage of their own opportunities because that can definitely be what swings it. Now, of course, it should be a great atmosphere tonight knowing what playoff hockey means here in Winnipeg and Manitoba uh, and the season that the Moose have had. Hopefully we'll have more playoff hockey, but uh, tickets still available for the game. What do fans need to know if uh, they want to make a decision to get down and uh, throw the whites on and uh, see what the Moose can do? Yep, there's still some great seats available at, uh, at great prices uh, all throughout the rink. So uh, you'll be able to find the price point or the the view that you want. Uh, those are still available. It's going to be a good crowd, um, but there are some good seats still available. So uh, be sure to visit moosehockey.com slash tickets to get yours. And uh, if, you're, if you're on the fence, don't, don't worry about it. Just come on downtown. It's going to be a great night. The atmosphere is going to be fantastic. I mean, this first Moose home playoff game in about four years. So uh, it's some pent-up energy here for the fans uh, I've seen the the playoff intro video is absolutely brilliant. The guys here in the game ops crew have done a fantastic job of getting ready for playoffs. You've probably been able to see some of it going on over my shoulder as a preview, unless my fat head's in the way of the screen. So uh, it's it's going to be a great night. And to, as you've been mentioning, Huss, if, uh, if you can't make it down uh, or holding off until Friday because uh, you have a pretty good feeling about tonight, then uh, you can catch the game on TSN3 or through the TSN app. You can catch it on 680 CJOB with Paul Edmonds and uh, Mitchell Clinton. It's uh, it's really going to be a great night. Really excited to showcase uh, some Calder Cup playoff hockey for as wide a viewership and listenership as we can here tonight. So it's uh, a lot of work has gone into uh, getting ready for this game, and uh, we're happy to uh, get everybody down here or watching wherever you are, wherever your support is. We appreciate it. Well, and, and I'll say this. I mean, uh, you know, you getting into the TSN booth tonight. How big's the uh, the makeup and wardrobe team that you'll be working with going into this evening, Finger? Weirdly, they don't keep those guys around for me. They know that they don't have to do anything exactly. with this, right? Yeah, it's it's a lost cause. So they let the radio guy go on the TV. We'll just yeah, we'll just stay away from that. Uh, it's uh, is yeah, it's really exciting. So Meech in the booth fun. with you as well. Absolutely, yeah. He'll be he'll be riding uh, riding along for me, with me on that one. Uh, Jamie Thomas and Austin Siragusa are going to be on the desk. I mean, that's one thing about this is this is very much an in-house production for us, so it's going to look a little different than if you're w- used to watching uh, Jets on TSN. It's it's going to be a little bit different here tonight, a little more moose flair uh, with some of the graphics and things like that. So it's it's been a lot of work for a lot of people who've really stepped up to help out and uh, really really proud of our organization for the product that we've been able to put together and we'll be putting together here tonight and uh, really excited for that. But of course the, the, uh, the end line to that is as much as I, I would love for you to listen or watch uh, what we're doing. I'd much prefer you to see you in the stands here and be able to hear you on the ice mics. Uh, looking forward to it here. Well, tonight. I was just about to tell you, I mean, regular listeners know what a big fan I am of your work and the calls you've done on CGOB and on uh, CGOB.com this year. I think it'll be a great introduction for many folks watching on the tube. However, 
I won't be listening to you tonight. I'll be at the game. <laughs> My big decision is which Moose jersey I got to throw on for it and be a part of the crowd tonight. I think it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I know many of our listeners and uh, viewers are going to be there, and uh, hopefully we'll have a big game on Friday to talk about potentially pushing this one to a deciding game. Just quickly to confirm, and I know we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, uh, but game four and game five times uh, we know where they're going to be played uh, if the Moose can extend this series and uh, hopefully put into a position to uh, win it in the deciding game five. Yeah, and like I said, if uh, if you're feeling good about tonight but can't make it down, tickets are available now for games four and games five. We're feeling pretty good about things. So uh, you can get yours at moosehockey.com slash tickets. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop on Friday right here behind me and a 2 o'clock afternoon matinee uh, on Sunday. So looking forward to seeing you all in game five. Great stuff, Dan. Have a great call tonight. Say what's up to Derek, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully seeing a uh, big-time performance with their backs against the wall to push this one for a great Friday night playoff game also there at Canada Life Center. Good luck tonight. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all the support, Huss. Uh, It's been awesome, and uh, hope to talk to you uh, tomorrow maybe to talk about tonight's win. We're just getting started, buddy. We're just getting started. There it is, Dan Fink. You can follow him on Twitter at Daniel the Fink. And again, if you're uh, if you've got some time tonight, get on down to the rink tonight. It's going to be great. As I said, I have uh, already committed to the Moose. Otherwise, I might go to Steinbach to see that Game Seven of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. But uh, no shortage of options for great hockey tonight. And considering what we've been through for the last couple of years. Um, playoff hockey is what it's all about and uh, should be a great, great environment tonight at Canada Life Center. All right, uh, we've got to get Remus back in here and talk a little bit more about the games in the National Hockey League tonight. Uh, but as we spoke with JD earlier, uh, Justin Dunk, uh, hard to believe, but uh, training camp's getting going this weekend for the Canadian Football League. We're going to have preseason action in less than two weeks. And just around the corner is the beginning of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers season. Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers, will be hosting Bomber fans at the tailgate section outside the uh, stadium all season long. And, of course, a big sponsor of the Gold Eyes, too, who uh, get going this weekend as well. Uh, Of course, Princess Auto is the spot where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new. Is it Princess Auto? Visit them at one of their two Winnipeg locations or you can shop online 24-7, 365 over at princessauto.com. Um, heck, if you're somewhere and you're not able to get to the game, a BP might be a great spot. You'll have some uh, phenomenal playoff action in the National Hockey League, which we'll get to. And you can tell them to make sure they got TSN 3 on and see what the Moose and Admirals have for us from Canada Life Center. Check out those gourmet pizzas, Boston wings, ice-cold schooners, and more. And if you're staying home tonight, you can always check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. And maybe a victory blizzard for fans after the game tonight. Of course, our friends at Nikki Nikki DQ are ready for you at any of their four locations. The DQ in Niverville. Speaking of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, the newest team in the league next year. So much excitement down in the Niverville community for that club. And of course, the three Winnipeg locations, DQ St. Anne's, DQ Polo Park, and DQ Northgate. Pop by, grab a blizzard. Try one of those new stack burgers. And if you do need a cake for a party or gathering, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll custom make it for you and get it ready to pick up quick and easy at any of your local Nick and Nicky DQs. And uh, tell you what I'm going to have tonight. Maybe one of those Canadian club and gingers. I'll save it for a victory 
victory drink after the game tonight. Um, but if you are popping by your local beer store or Manitoba liquor store, make sure to pick up the new Ready to Drink Canadian Club and Ginger Ale available in six packs and in cans. And if you're in Manitoba Liquor Mart's any point over the course of the next month, check out the Canadian Club display. You can grab Canada's favorite whiskey and you get a free can to try the new drink of the summer, the Canadian Club and Ginger Ale ready to go. All right, let's get Remo back in here because we do got to get to Cool Bet Lines, talk about what's happening tonight. Uh, but I'll tell you what, all this NHL action, despite how huge these games are, especially the one in Calgary, um, kind of seems secondary with all that's happening on the local scene tonight with the Moose, the MJ, and, of course, the ice plan on the road looking to uh, go up 3-1 coming back home on Friday. Yeah, I saw Mike Pittman and Chet saying, uh, go Pistons. So we're definitely pay- paying attention to that here. Moose, ice, so uh, and NHL playoffs, some big game fives. We had the night of game fives last night where every game was game five. But tonight we only have uh, two game fives, Washington, Florida. Florida trying to take a series lead at home. Calgary as well. Calgary, I thought, had a slow start against Dallas. Maybe they figured them out after scoring a couple goals finally in game four. And Pittsburgh looking to put away the Rangers. Uh, Unfortunately for Jets fans, probably not going to get that additional first-round pick. So uh, a couple games to watch. A lot of hockey up. Great time. Well, hey, we've seen three one deficits erased uh, plenty over the last mm-hmm. 20 years in the National Hockey League. So let's start there and see what the Rangers are on the cool bet lines. And hey, the Rangers are a favorite. They're laying minus 125 at home to get back into this series and push it to Pittsburgh for a game six. Minus 125 for the Rangers. If you do think the Pittsburgh Penguins led by Crosby, who very well may have been the best player in the playoffs so far this year. Uh, plus 107 for the Penguins to advance tonight with a win in Madison Square Garden uh, and uh, and move on to the second round. Panthers and Capitals. Panthers with some momentum after a clutch comeback win in game number four, preventing them from going down three to one. Uh, Brahegi with the winner and the uh, tying goal with just two minutes left, pushing this one to a best of three. Florida Panthers back at home, minus 217 favorites. Capitals plus 185 on the road. And Remo, no surprise that the Calgary Flames are favored once again. They finally solved Jake Ottinger and got more than a goal or two, putting four up. Johnny Gaudreau with that master class of a penalty shot goal to give them the 2-0 lead. Flames minus 217 at home. Dallas plus 180. I got to say it. I think I'm rolling with the home teams. I hope and I'm expecting the Rangers to have a big performance like the Moose with their backs against the wall tonight. And uh, I think Florida and Calgary come back with the momentum after winning crucial game fours and get it done in front of their home fans. Where are you at? I was going to say take Pittsburgh just because they're the underdog and they've I think they've outplayed the Rangers in the series. It's tough to bet against. They have. They it's absolutely t- have. Tough I just be- think that the Rangers come up with a big performance. Mm. Sometimes facing elimination brings out mm. the best in teams. And, uh, hey, they've put a lot into this series. They know Andrew Kopp has been a big, big part of the what they've done well. What they haven't done well is defend. And for a guy, and maybe they were just leaning on Shesterkin so much all season long. They're 16th in the playoffs in just about every defensive category so far. Credit to Pittsburgh for making that happen. They're going to need to be a lot better. And I certainly, maybe I'm just hoping that they do both from a Jets fan's perspective at mm-hmm. maybe getting that first round pick, but particularly just to see some more drama of game six and potentially a game seven. I agree. I just think they're, I don't think they should be that much of a favorite. It should be a bit closer. So if you're going to get Pittsburgh plus money, sure, I would lean, I would lean Pittsburgh just because of uh, the numbers, but 
Um, I, yeah, I would obviously like to see the Rangers win. I think Andrew Cops fit in well. And they're going to need to, you know, stop some of these goals or stop giving up such high quality chances. Uh, either one. Um, Florida, you know, maybe this is the turning point for them that uh, they hit the uh, overtime winner. And then, uh, yeah, Calgary, maybe they've figured it out now. I mean, it just took them a, a couple. We'll have to wait and see uh, def- how that goes. But I'm on Calgary. You go. I was just going to say, I'm definitely on Calgary tonight, and I won't make the same mistake of uh, nailing them on the puck line, which I've done a couple times unsuccessfully so far this playoffs, uh, but I do like Calgary to win. And Remo, if you go up to the top, we have AHL lines for tonight. What? The Moose and Admirals are on the no. board right now, and to be honest, the line just shifted at, it right in front of my face. Milwaukee, plus 141 underdog, Manitoba Moose, minus 182. And if you think that this is the moment that the Moose break out and win by two, you do get a great number on that, plus 154. Uh, We've also got a total, the over-under goals, five and a half is the number on this one. I said we've got the spread. uh, You've got home tie away. You can pick Moose in regulation at minus 111, um, although that takes out the opportunity of overtime. And then the double chance as well. It's been a little while. We've had a bunch of WHL numbers occasionally on. Hadn't seen AHL on Cool Bet in a little while. And I don't know. I feel like I want to bet the Moose, but I also don't want to feel responsible for mushing the Moose if they don't win tonight's game. And I've laid a wager at, with our friends at Cool Bet on tonight's game. Yeah, I don't mind Moose. You know, if you want to feel, feel dangerous, uh, Moose minus one and a half or Moose in regulation minus 111. Um, I don't really see value on the money line, I would, but that's kind of cool. I don't know, didn't know you could bet on Moose games. Um, yeah, well, got- and, and one of the funny things, I'm going to have to talk to our friends at CoolBet as well because, <laughs> and if, you're, if you've been on the site, um, and I don't see any WHL lines right now, maybe they put some up later on. They often have had them for the weekend. For whatever reason, and I don't know, maybe they've been doing this for a while. The Moose are still list, or sorry, the Winnipeg Ice are still listed as the Kootenai Ice. Really? On the odds. (laughs) I guess that's somewhat on me uh, for not mentioning that, uh, hey guys, maybe tell the people at the back end that uh, the team moved to Winnipeg a few seasons ago. Uh, So uh, anyways, we don't see a line for the WHL. We do see one for the Moose. It's all there at CoolBet. If you've never played a CoolBet before, use the promo code WST when making your first deposit. We'll get you a 100% bonus, doubling it up to $200 on the first one. Got to tell you, I'm really excited for this game tonight. Looking forward to seeing a lot of friends and uh, familiar faces out there. And I will tell you this, folks. If you would like to go to the game, and you can go to the game, I can't confirm this, but I think I'm going to have an extra pair of tickets. So if you would like to go to the game and you're with us right now on YouTube, send us an email to winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. I'm going to know in the next half hour or so if we do have those tickets. And if we do, we'll just select someone that's able to go. We'll send you an email back right away. So uh, if you do send an email into winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com, just make sure to use or note the um uh, maybe use your chat name, if you will, and we'll know who you are, uh, but also the email to send those tickets to. Hoping to send another one of our listeners to the game right now um, because then these would actually be personal because 
actually put something in for a jet season ticket contest and i think i've got them i just want to make sure they're there before they come so uh we'll do that hopefully grab another winner and uh remo i'm crossing my fingers we're talking to one of the members of the winnipeg ice tomorrow about a big win in moose jaw and of course whether it's fink or maybe Derek meach coming on the program to talk about a big win for the moose and of course we'll always have time to talk about the stanley cup playoffs as well and who knows maybe we'll have some more interesting tidbits on Barry Trotz, the NHL coaching search for the Winnipeg Jets. And I know we'll hit it all with Rewiki on the program tomorrow. Yeah, there was, as far as the Jets head coaching search and Barry Trotz goes, Elliot Friedman had some updates on the 32 thoughts at the end today, just saying that one name that he had heard, you know, around with the Jets is Alain Vigneault. No, no surprise, you know, with his history with the Manitoba Moose that they would be interested in, and he got fired by Philadelphia. He said he wants to prove that uh, it wasn't on him, the Flyers, and I think we can agree there's a lot of issues uh, going on with the Flyers, and I'm sure Brandon can tell us firsthand tomorrow. <laughs> also said he thought the Flyers may back up the Brinks truck. Brinks getting a lot of free advertising now <laughs> that uh, Barry Trance is a free, free agent. Uh, he mentioned that. One thing also, uh, Canada at the Worlds, they had a pre-tournament game today. They won 4-2 against USA in a shootout. Uh, Lowry and Dubois had assists. Dubois scored in the shootout. Thought I would mention that as well. Oh, yeah, I wanted to mention this, Hess. The Calder, where do you stand on this debate in the hockey world? The Calder Trophy nominees are in. Zegras, Bunting, and Cider are the nominees. A lot of people mad online that Bunting is a Calder Trophy nominee, saying he's too old. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's, he's, he's the, 26. He's 26. He's under the age. He is eligible. I think the debate ends there. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, they might want to lower the they might want to lower the age if they don't want 26 year olds winning it. I mean, this goes back to Sergei Makarov, who mm-hmm. won it in the late 80s. I think he was like 31 years old after coming over from Russia, and everyone thought it was a bit of a joke, so they uh, put that in. To be honest, it's much ado about nothing because Moritz Sider is running away with this award. Yes. And I know Bunting and Zegris are the flashier names. Morris Sider, I was just looking at this up. Listen to his numbers for this for his rookie season, playing for one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. He finished 19th in defenseman scoring, played every single game, seven goals, 43 assists for 50 points, was only minus nine on a heavily minus team. And Remo, he was up there amongst the leaders in ice time, over 23 minutes a game, including over 18 minutes uh, at even strength. Did it all for the Detroit Red Wings. This is a a, a pick that I think is going to turn into a masterclass for Steve Eiserman. Um, He already looks like one of the top defensemen in the league right now. It should be a slam dunk. I think he runs away with it. And if he doesn't, it's because people weren't paying attention to the Detroit Red Wings. Yes, I agree with everything on Cider. He also gets the bump up for, do you know how hard it is to be a young top-pairing defenseman in the NHL? I think Jonas Brodeen got that bump a few years ago uh, going up against Jacob yeah, And especially on a bad team. Yeah, especially. You get a degree of difficulty way harder. You know, a bunting degree of difficulty next to Matthews and Marner plays. I could score goals uh, on a line with the. With those guys. Uh, more on Bunting. I mean, he shouldn't be penalized because, what, he wasn't that great as, like, a 23-year-old. Some guys take longer longer to develop, so he is the appropriate age. It's his first 
first year. A lot of people mad online. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. I mean, like he was riding shotgun with Marner and Matthews. I mean, I'm sure if you put half of the guys on that team in that position, they would have had maybe not the same numbers, but would have been there. And that's not going to help him outside of the Toronto market uh, when it comes to uh, it comes to the rookie of the year. But, but I, I don't even think there's much of a discussion. Mort Sider running away. I thought that Bunting might not even be a finalist for the uh, for the award. I thought Lucas Raymond and the Red yes. Wings might have two players in there, but um, he didn't get the nod. Hey, listen, I got no issue with Bunting being a finalist for the award. Uh, but if somehow he wins the award, then I'll be mad online and mad on this program because Cider absolutely is the choice. Hey, before we go, I, I know you always like to drop jersey takes. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if the Oilers are able to win game number six, should they not? And I know they've committed to wearing these jerseys, the, the brutal blue jerseys throughout the playoffs that we saw last night. But would it not be smart after losing two of three to maybe switch it up? I think the Oiler, I think the orange jerseys are garbage too, to be honest with you. But even those ones are better than the uh, the dark blue ones that they've been wearing over the course of this season and they've been wearing in the playoffs so far. Okay, let me, don't get me started here. I'm watching the <laughs> Oilers games. These are the worst jerseys in, in the league. You can't They're even right there read, with the Ducks. They're you right there with the Ducks. You can't even read the numbers. And I'm watching, they're wearing these blue jerseys. They don't even look, they have this monochrome one color logo. I guess because they didn't want to pay the extra money to get the full color print. <laughs> um, and you watch the game. There is not one fan in the stands wearing this blue jersey. That is how terrible it is. They hate them. They, the orange jersey is like construction worker bright orange. Like you're going hunting and you want to make sure people can see you. It is the most bright orange color it is so awful to look at you need sunglasses meanwhile they have this beautiful blue classic jersey in the like in the bullpen on a waiting to be brought in how are you not wearing that jersey what what are they doing with this horrible blue navy jersey it is it's an abomination i don't say that often but it is it's a worst jersey they will clearly be winning if they wore a normal jersey, <laughs> clearly, clearly, it would make everybody play better. The orange ones, they had the excitement of McDavid coming in, and I knew they switched to the orange ones because they were going to sell a million of them, which they did. I mean, you saw the crowd last night. It was essentially looked like an orange out. I'll never understand how they went to the, I mean, it, they would have been better off using the spawn jersey from yes. 2000, 2001 than the ones that they've got right there. There you have them if you That's, see them right now with that the oil drop logo. That oil drop jersey is sick. I loved that jersey. I used to wear it all the time in NHL 2002 with <laughs> Sean Horkoff and uh, Jason Smith, who was on that team, Ethan Morrow. God, I, I would be that jersey all the time. So that pissed uh, me off. The other thing that pissed me off last night too, I'm watching the Leafs come back. Their goal song. The most misplaced goal song. Oh, like Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. Like, good song in the wedding singer when they're doing the cake montage and the dress trying on montage. But as a goal song in the Stanley Cup playoffs, big thumbs down. It is horrible. It does not get you fired up. I feel like I'm at a bar mitzvah listening to that. It's, it's awful. 
I, I have to give you props on the lid today, uh, celebrating your Kings win last yeah, night. There you go. That's the uh, is that that's like the NWA style. You need to get the I, script one. I have out. that. One. I have that one. Except the underbill is green, so I'm not sure if it would work. Yeah, if it would work. <laughs> I, I'll if they win the series, I'll wear that one. I do have a have a couple jerseys too. I don't know why I like the jersey. I went to a game. The reason why I do like the Kings, I um. I like, uh, sorry, I went to a Kings game 2006. And I was really impressed with the fans there. And, you know, we didn't really have the Jets. So going to an NHL game was a bit of a novelty. So that's kind of why I, I, I just couldn't believe how into it, um, you know, hockey in LA. So I, I went to a practice there one time too when I was on vacation. So yeah, uh, I went to a game, a game yeah. at the, uh, at crypto.com, no. formerly the <laughs> Staples Center, and, yeah. uh, and saw it was fun. A couple fun things in the chat. Um, I, I see Blue Cat Animation saying, but we can all agree Nashville has the worst jerseys. No, Nashville ha- is better than the Oilers and better than the Ducks. I, I, I will die on the hill that the Ducks yes. jerseys are the worst. Okay, we'll um, bring them up. Ducks yeah. are easily the worst. <laughs> e- right easily, there. easily. Although, although it's it's worse for the Oilers to be wearing the current jerseys that they are, considering the options that they have right now. And I do see so a, someone in He's chat, sunk. Hustler's $40 daddy. That's Ryan Friesen. Is that Friesen? For, oh, Freezer, he, well, listen, I was getting a little nervous there when Dallas was up <laughs> two to one. I'm still, for those of you who don't know, we have a, we had a one bet earlier that the Chiefs would not get to the AFC championship game. I won that one. And then Freezer has doubled down with me with his take, the Flames were going out in the first round of the playoffs from a few months ago. And, uh, hey, they're in a good position, down to a best of three. Huge game tonight, though, with Calgary taking on Dallas. I, I agree that these Nashville home jerseys are pretty bad. They had good ones before, but they're not as bad as the the Ducks. The Ducks are easily... The Ducks and Oilers have the worst, and there's no debate. Uh, Ottawa used to be pretty bad, but then they switched to these, and these are these are great. A little bit better. I mean, they're probably still at the bottom of the league. Interested to know what people's thoughts are on the best jersey in the league. Mm-hmm. As much as I can't stand the team, the, I think I have to go to the Montreal Canadiens. I think the Habs red, like the the red Habs jersey, is actually the best jersey in sports. And I mean, maybe I like some of the more traditional ones. And we talk about the Yankees and the Cubs, but I don't know the uh, the the Habs jersey. Uh, the home one there. I, you know, they've never really touched it. They shouldn't touch it. And I think that will be theirs for a long time. The white one's relatively plain, uh, but there's something about that home jersey for the Montreal Canadiens that I think is number one. Yeah, Montreal's it's pretty classic, hard to argue. I think the Florida tried to copy Montreal and he just can't. Like, I don't like these. They need to go back to um back to the now. Every team just needs to go back to their nineties jerseys, most of them, and they'd be better. I remember in like oh the Jets. Yeah, I could make, uh, well, Jets need to wear the heritage ones. But I, I remember like, oh, just on jerseys, like 06 or 07, like when Reebok came in, they redesigned all the jerseys and they all sucked. And now they're slowly like reverting, reverting back. If we're just no talking doubt. about pl- playoff jerseys, I'm going on a tangent. I could do this forever. <laughs> no, the Avalanche, no the Avalanche changing their numbers to blue and their pants to blue. Kind of growing on me, but I'm not crazy about it. I'll be honest, that I was completely this year. missed that. They've that got the Colorado Rockies jersey in the middle. And yeah. T. Will T. Will saying, what about the New Jersey 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 jersey? This is terrible. Um, that just says jersey on it. I mean, that was so funny at the start because then they had uh, they had to put out a hat 
yeah. uh, as well as what was the other one? A shirt or something like that, making fun of them. I don't know. Marty Brodeur designed those. Great goalie, not a great fashion designer, whether it be for I, clothes or for NHL the, the I, unis. I, I love when they put out like a jersey and it's got like some stripe pattern. I think the Bombers did this too. Um, and it's like, oh, they got four stripes on the shoulders because of the four Stanley Cups they won. Like, just make a nice jersey. No one cares about about the symbolism. Oh, this I'm jersey. in on that. I'm in on that. Oh, See, the like thing that? is that you're out of it you're, because you, I mean, don't pay any attention to a lot of other things like, for instance, soccer. But, like, you know, when you win the World Cup, you get to put a star on your jersey. Oh, like, really? Italy comes out. Yeah, they've got the four stars. That's for the four, the four championships. And for national teams, that's neat. But listen, I'm fully in on the Bombers dropping a two strike, oh. two gold oh. stripes going into this season for back to backs. I, I I'm a proponent of those sort of neat little tweaks okay. uh, I, as long as it looks good. Yeah, as long as it looks good. That one looked good, so I don't really care what it stands for. It's like it's a nice design. But if you want to say that it's for it's for the Grey Cups, go ahead, go ahead. But I did I did like their um third jersey. We talked about that one before. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here, waiters. Yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, waiters, waiters. <laughs> Don't Ooh. take marriage advice from Marty Broder either. Mm. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. What a way to finish the show today. All right, gang, wherever you are, take in some of this playoff action tonight. Good luck to both the Dolphin Kings and the Steinback Pistons in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League final. Game seven out in Steinback. And, of course, the game I'll be attending and hopefully seeing a number of you at. Game three tonight, Moose Admirals, Canada Life Center, do or die for Manitoba despite dominating the first two games. They are facing elimination. If you do want to go to the game, fire an email to winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. Should be able to pick a winner in the next half hour just upon confirmation that those tickets that I'm expecting are showing up. And uh, we'll talk about it all tomorrow. And, of course, good luck to the ice to uh, take a 3-1 lead. Um, we will be talking to uh, hopefully maybe either Matt Savoy for Connor Geeky tomorrow. I'll talk a little bit about the uh, playoffs so far, as well as the draft lottery and a look ahead to a big day for them in Montreal in early July. Uh, thanks to everyone that's with us. Uh, great, great chat today with Murata Tesh. Uh, awesome Canadian football update from Justin Dunk as well, and a great moose preview from our guy, Daniel Fink, who'll be calling the game tonight on TSN3. Uh, thanks to the sponsors, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboia Downs, Canadian Club, and of course our betting partners over at Cool Bet Canada. Tomorrow on the program, Brandon Rowicki is going to join us. Uh, we'll also have one of the members of the Winnipeg Ice, and uh, we'll have some aftermath of this Moose game tonight as well. And uh, who knows, maybe even something on the MGHL Championship, which will be decided tonight out in Steinbach. Folks, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. Enjoy the playoff action, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Don't forget to hit that red subscribe button and uh, tell a friend about WST. Oh, my God! for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.